0: You are now listening to Soundspace, the podcast where we interview experts and professionals in the space of sound.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to Soundspace, the podcast where we interview audio people. Today we have a very special guest for you. We have Casey Pocius hailing from St. John's Newfoundland and Labrador, a gender fluid intermedia artist with deep knowledge in multimedia software. They have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Electroacoustic Studies, currently completing a Master's in Music Tech at McGill, uh, has done classical training in piano and viola, was the Principal uh, Violist for the Newfoundland Symphony Youth Orchestra, has experience with a Electronic Works, has collaborated with the Concordia Laptop Orchestra, Exit Point and Fee Harmonique, a very talented multi-channel composer. I've got to listen to a bunch of their pieces before the podcast began and also has worked as a technical coordinator at Matcher How are you, Casey? I'm good. Thank you for coming on. I'm
2: busy with the the MFA. Yes, as you uh, mentioned.
1: Yes, the MFA must be uh, very busy. Also with us is Anthony. How are you, Anthony?
2: I'm great. Thank you
0: very much.
1: Very happy to have you all here. Uh, Casey, i like to begin by asking you uh, on this uh, podcast, uh, when did music become of importance to you? When did audio and music really play a factor and you knew that you would do music uh, as a career?
2: I was really lucky. Uh, I mean, music's been a huge part of my life since the beginning, I, like literally <laughs> the beginning. I got to go to my first concert when I was six months old. It was a Fly My right. concert. Um, and I mm-hmm. just went to a lot of concerts uh, as a kid um, and then got to, I was lucky, um, my mom had a Mac at home, so I started playing around with uh, some of the audio software, GarageBand, and a little bit of iMovie as well. and Starting an intermedia right. early too, um, and like I, I knew right away, you know, it was so much fun. Um, and then I, through the public school system, got started with uh, viola, and then like really got excited by that. Started doing it privately, and like originally, sort of thought I was going to go into classical music um, and study that, and that was like really my focus. But then I, mm-hmm. I realized that. Um, as I got older, um, I started seeing other people were focusing in like the digital audio stuff professionally. And I uh, switched lanes and got into uh, the stuff at Concordia. Yeah, so we'll I'm definitely sure get, get to,
1: uh, there's definitely going to be a big uh, Concordia uh, portion in this episode. Uh, Anthony and I uh, met Casey at the Electroacoustic program yes. uh,
0: in Concordia. So uh, the, we could definitely s- uh, talk about uh, that. Sure, definitely. Um, well, w- we met at Concordia. Actually, Casey, you were probably one of my first
2: friends in the program. Likewise. Uh,
0: so uh, describe your uh, experience at Concordia in electroacoustics program
2: Uh, it was really great Um, it was yeah, no, like the the breadth of topics that we covered was really wide uh, in terms of like focusing on the ear and I mean all this stuff with uh, electroacoustic composition, uh, music theory, all those things, uh, and it's like a super intense program yeah. at the beginning. Uh, and I was really lucky. Um, me and Anthony were one of the last years where uh, Kevin Austin was teaching everything uh, in terms of the composition tutorials and also like the research writing portion of that course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Kevin was a great teacher, and like we really got along well. And I mean, he was really willing to like push me to work like as hard as I could to like really get my compositions really up there. And uh, I also was lucky that uh, Eldad Sabari, um, who was the ear training professor um, and also worked with the Laptop Orchestra, uh, we got along really well. Um, and I was able to do a lot of work, uh, independent studies with him, as well as uh, stuff with the Laptop Orchestra, and so forth. And then uh, I was also really lucky. Uh, Electroacoustics is, it's uh, it's in the Department of Fine Arts at Concordia uh, as opposed to some of these other audio programs where you're in the School of Music. Uh, so Great. when I knew that I really wanted to also uh, work on my skills in video and working with, you know, building electronics and so forth as well, I was able to uh, sneak into the the intermediate Department and uh, start taking classes there. And I mean, really... Bringing up my skills in uh, both sides of things and took a little bit of math as well and was able to get in eventually through to music technology at McGill. Definitely. Oh, that's before yeah.
1: before we hit on the McGill, because I definitely want to talk about that masters, uh, <laughs> which I have lied to, I just want to say, uh, <laughs> I uh, I really think you hit on, on something very, very important where I I tell this a lot to Anthony and people around me that uh, being an audio per- is a, an audio person is important, but being a media person is even yes. more important and definitely. having more than just audio under your skill set. Uh, can you expand on the importance of being a media person and what the difference is of j- being a media person? And an audio person only?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, And I agree 100%. Um, so, I, I mean, you can really, like, really dig in and develop your your skills for music theory and what have you. Um, but, you know, with a lot of the jobs that you're you're doing now, um, especially that, uh, I mean, I know both me and Jayanne have had a lot of experience working with stuff for film, stuff for television, yeah. stuff for radio. Right. Um, and, I mean, even just having, like, Doing some basic video editing, um, or some basic special effects, or you know, playing around with stop motion, or really whatever catches your fancy, um, it's going to help you develop a language um, to be able to communicate with these people. So, like, even if you you know aren't the specialist in video for a project, um, you're still coming in with expectations that you can set pretty easily um, because you you know what can be accomplished within a certain set of time, um, and you're also just able to a lot more effectively. Ask what you want. Um, you know, I find as an audio person, sometimes when you're working with video-only people, you can get some pretty vague questions about make your music more like this or <laughs> you know, icier and so forth. And it's like you can kind of figure it out. But uh, if you both have that language where you like are both familiar with each other's mediums, um, it's a lot easier there. Um, and that's you know, outside of media too. I mean, doing a little bit of dance uh, as a kid. Has really helped me uh, get to work with dance companies here and so forth because I already have some understanding of movement and so forth. Um, wow, right. naturally. Wow. Wow.
1: naturally. Dance is really interesting to me. How, do, how does that play a part in everything in your practices and all the projects that you do? I've, I've probably in Clark a little bit. I, I imagine. Yeah, yeah,
2: in Clark, um, and then I mean also um, in the last. Uh, so this this can help to to specify some things like at. Concordia Clark is located within uh, what is called the Performance Art Research Cluster or La Parc, um, mm-hmm. which is part of a larger research network called Milieu. Um, and I was really lucky; I got chosen as the undergraduate fellow um, one of the first years that the program was run um, at Concordia for le Parc. Um, and through there, I was able to meet uh, some students who were, you know, MFAs and PhDs in dance and. We're also working in theater and these sorts of things. And I've been able, once I've graduated, um, to come back and continue to, to work with these people on some small uh, projects over the pandemic. Um, I did Sway of Stone with Lucy Fondel last fall, um, and then just recently uh, a little short residency over the summer, um, again with uh, Lucy Fondel uh, for a project called Windy Days. That we're uh, probably going to expand on fingers crossed next summer as well amazing so and it's uh movement is a big part of also what i'm studying at mcgill but i'm trying to save some stuff for as we i think get getting into, into
1: mcgill is the is the perfect uh, segue here uh, yeah, music tech at mcgill music tech at mcgill i just yeah. want to say yeah. that that is huge that is huge that um, is congratulations very I really Thank uh, you. how how has it been so far uh oh, people are fantastic. Current, well, yeah, people listening to this will probably be listening to this uh, in early 2022. Uh, what point are you at in the program? Just give us, uh, you know, the overview and uh, what your experience is like over there.
2: Oh, man. Um, so early 2022. Um, hopefully by that point, uh, I will be almost done my thesis. Um, but we'll have to see. I'm trying to take a little bit of time with things because um, I, I have the luxury to do so still at the moment. So the the music technology program at McGill is more so focused into like computer science, electrical engineering. It's a two year uh, to three year master's program. And there's also a, a PhD after that, if you uh, wish to do the, the PhD as well. Um, and it's focused around um, a, a series of different paths uh, that you can really tailor to what your interests are. Um, but you get a wide breadth of the starts of things and then you can really pick on certain projects. And the, the thesis uh, system is divided into a series of smaller laboratories um, where you work with uh, other graduate students who are also focused in your interest. Um, so there's like, I mean, Stephen McAdams heads a, a lab um, that's really focused on uh, perception um, and the psychoacoustic side of things, the psychology, running tests to really understand you know, what can we hear and how does what we hear how, how do we affect uh, what what we're hearing um, psychologically? Um, there are uh, people like uh, Dr. Ichiro Fujinaga uh, who are focused in like machine learning, uh, music recognition. Like, how do we help the library handle a million scores uh, that you might want to search to like find specific music that has a specific character or was written in a specific set of years and these sorts of things that I mean seem obvious, uh, but these tools still haven't been built. Uh, or there are places like my lab, um, well, my, my supervisor's lab, um, the Input Devices and Musical Interfaces Laboratory, run by uh, Dr. Marcelo Wanderley, um, where we're really focused on what is the interaction um, with the computer uh, for making music. Uh, so, you know, is that sonification, uh, representations of data and understanding of data through music uh, and through sound, uh, is that you know interfaces like the T-stick, um, which is a musical interface that is a, a tube that's filled with sensors um, and it's touch sensitive. It's pressure sensitive. It's sensitive to how fast it's moving, what angles has it been rotated on, where is it moving? Um, there's we also focus on development of uh, things to enhance um, other instrumental performances. Um, so uh, things like uh, Eduardo Menez, who's a PhD student at the lab, is working on a project called the Guitar Ami, uh, which is a little s- set of sensors that you can add to a classical guitar, as well as a little Raspberry Pi-based guitar pedal where you can control um, what sort of synthesis and effects you want to add to the guitar in real time um, and you know make it intuitive to what somebody would already want to do with a classical guitar. And then more uh, sort of medically or Psychology focused studies in uh, like motion capture and you know studying how musicians move when they're playing instruments and you know what can we understand from this and you know what can we help them with in terms of like you know what do they want to improve in their practice as well as you know concerns of you know what how can we prevent injuries um, in practice and performance and as well as how can we make things more accessible how can we build instruments for. Um, people with various disabilities um, that are more accommodating of a, wi- uh, yeah, a wider group of players. Um, and even, I mean, and it gets you know even more philosophical. Uh, what does it mean to play? Um, how do we make mappings? Uh, all these things. so Wow. It's yeah. A yeah. very,
1: very eclectic. Oh, oh yeah, yeah.
2: that's yeah. a lot to unload. In a wonderful way. I can only uh, imagine. Yeah. And it's really great. Um, I mean, the the classes when you, you do those master seminars are really, really intense. Uh, you know, we talk about You know in electroacoustics um with kevin austin you know me and anthony that first year wrote you know 25 reports over the course of a year um yeah and in this case you're doing like 25 reports in a term if you're lucky uh for, for like each of your classes um like ichiro has this like crazy research seminar where you're like having to you know write a multiple page report and then you know, turn it into basically like a conference presentation over like the course of two weeks, uh, and then you're doing this every two weeks, uh, and then you're like you're also writing code and you're building all these projects. Um, so it's it's super super intense, but uh, I mean, working at that level um, really really ups your your abilities, and then you can find like what you are really interested in, um, where you want to keep things going, and then hone in on the thesis and spend you know a year or two years just just researching and working with your supervisor and really creating something that's, uh, I mean, exciting and relevant to your colleagues in the field. I know you somewhat
0: uh, answered it, but I was curious, what is your thesis?
2: Yeah. So my, my thesis topic, um, is on interfaces for, uh, 3d spatialization. Um, I'm kind of still honing in on how exactly, uh, this interface is going to look hopefully by the time this is out, I, I figured out this dance of, uh, how exactly it will, it will work. But, uh, I mean, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, um, I really love uh, multi-channel audio, spatial audio. Yeah. It was a huge focus at Concordia. Um, Major, yeah. Like, as, as I've continued, uh, I've gotten really into as well, like 3D audio. Uh, so at Concordia, you know, we're just working in sort of what you see in like the older cinema stuff, uh, you know, 5.1, 7.1, you know, just speakers that are like in front and behind the audience. And that's a, like a magical, wonderful experience of having speakers around the audience, um, but... Adding that extra level of you know, speakers above or speakers below the audience, uh, thankfully, it's been you know, embraced um, by the commercial market. Uh, stuff like Dolby Atmos, you know, people are are coming to have these experiences more frequently and are understanding that it is uh, really groundbreaking and really great. Um, but the thing is, is that um, it's really hard to produce um, good, rewarding content for spatial audio. Um, You know with a mixing board you got you got your pan pots or you got you know maybe you got a joystick panner uh, like you see with some of the other surround sound stuff um but when you're moving stuff in 3d um it's a little it's we haven't really figured out um those interfaces and those like gestural metaphors that we want to use um and you know there's a lot of really exciting research in the field um people out at the university of calgary exploring a lot of stuff with motion capture uh, being able to move stuff, as well as uh, some of my colleagues in sound recording uh, are at McGill are also looking at this. Um, and there's all sorts of interesting interfaces that have been developed at IDMIL uh, at McGill over the past 10 years. Marlon Schumacher, um, who's a graduate student there, did a lot of studies into this and implementing it into uh, some more old school like C sound computer music uh, interfaces. But the thing is, is that like those are really specialized to like that one use case and it's like for that one artist um and that's and it's great but uh when you're trying to bring it into other situations uh you know motion capture is great but if you have to hold your hands over the mixing board every time you want to listen to your piece um it gets to be a royal pain um and so I, i i'm looking at like how can we manage uh moving around those objects and like give feedback as well uh you know there's lots of great touch interfaces out there uh stuff on the ipad that you can move stuff around Spatially, um, but of course you have to be looking at it. Uh, you're not getting any feedback that you can feel from like when you're moving a joystick or you're moving a pan pot. Um, which, when you're talking about like movie workflows and these sorts of things, uh, you know, the faster that you can get this stuff done uh, and get stuff sent out, um, the the happier your your supervisors are. Um, and you know, sadly, it's shorter and shorter production time spans um, on everything, especially you know with companies like Netflix um, producing. These really high quality mini series in like six weeks, eight weeks. Um, you know, it basically just means you have to go for you know what's fast, what's accessible, uh, what you can keep working with. So I'm trying to uh, sort of crack that uh, egg, if you will. Um, and I s- some things are are coming together. I've, I've been working with some stuff with electromagnets and uh, motion capture where it's a more contained system that you can like physically feel your objects and place them around the space. Um, but uh, I mean, some of these systems are, they're a little wonky uh, just because they aren't made for these exact use cases. So I'm, I'm playing around with what exactly still uh, I want to use with sensors and so forth to really bring this thing to life. And then it's, uh, you know, it's great if it's good for me. Um, I need to test with other people, uh, get my colleagues at Idmill to get their hands on stuff. Um, and there's a wonderful, right. you know, wide variety of backgrounds from people focused in audio to You know, people with computer science and electrical engineering backgrounds that are coming into uh, McGill um, who are going to bring a different viewpoint on it. And it's good to get everybody, um, all these different backgrounds to look at it because it just it makes your projects uh, that much stronger. You aren't just toiling away on your own um, sort of reinforcing your own biases. Absolutely. It's always nice to get a, a second
0: viewpoint from people from different programs. Yep. Um, just to get uh, yeah different I
1: want to ask you a question, uh, talking about perspectives. Uh, when I worked at a studio last year, um, everyone, all the audio engineers were so used to stereo. And then when asked about, uh, uh, when I brought up uh, doing five-channel compositions, uh, some of them never worked in multi-channel or immersive audio or 3D audio, any of those domains. And the, the concern that always c- came up was, I can't even imagine the phase the phase the phase the phase like that was like such a red flag for them that they wouldn't even think about jumping into that domain so for someone who really has only experienced uh engineering audio in stereo uh, what would you say to to them regarding five point one or any of these multi-channel and three d sound uh, domains I mean phases
2: is, phase is a funky phenomenon uh, that yeah I think we <laughs> well said. We, we worry about a whole lot. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, with 5-channel, um, phase isn't a huge issue. Um, I mean, there's... Some of these technologies are definitely like super reliant on phase. You know, wave field synthesis and... Yes. These like, crazy high-definition um, 3D sound stuff that you like really, really, really have to worry about your phase. Um, but, I mean, often, it's not that much of a problem. Uh, I mean, really... Like 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 we're taught at Concordia, um, which the two of you will know, um, you know, it really only matters if it sounds good. Um, which like we're we're big fans of at IDMIL as well. Um, you know, you can have all this super technical thoughts of like, oh, you know, this it's gonna be this tiny amount of phase and I'm gonna get like some like a third of a harmonic that I, I don't like, uh, or some like weird concern there. Um, but it's not that big of a deal, really. Um, and I mean the, the thing is, like, at the end of the day, most people are going to be listening on headphones. Um, yeah. Which is, uh, I mean, I love, like, the spatial audio, all the stuff with uh, binaural head tracking and so forth uh, I find really exciting. I've got some research projects in the work there uh, with some colleagues in sound recording um, looking at different ways of binaural representations and how we can capture them and so forth. Um, but, like, yeah, no phase is a complete, almost non-issue in binaural, like, for your own uh, listening, like, binaural beats are 100% a thing um but yes. you've got a crazy complex mix with you know dialogue and soundtrack and effects and foley and everything um you know people aren't going to be saying oh like your these two saw tones are you know a little bit out of phase um and there's lots of exciting things that you can do uh if you just throw everything out of phase um so you know a lot of drum and bass is written on that philosophy education wise uh,
1: yeah. i think we know that- uh, I think we know where we're at, where we're at with you, and you know, if you want to do a PhD, that option remains open, of course. Oh yes. But uh, af- uh, after completing your studies, what do you want to do? Do you want to be an independent artist? Do you want to work in the studio realm? I think you have your hands in many places in terms of audio, so mm-hmm. I'd be curious to know what would be an ideal position for you after education. I mean,
2: ideally, I I can keep hands in many fires, um, or. Irons in many fires. Hopefully not hands yes. in many fires. Um, <laughs> Don't want that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that would be an issue. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoy um, working in a lot of different mediums. Um, it keeps it, it. I find it helps keep me fresh in different mediums. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're you're not just going through one thing all the time. Um, and it's uh, I, I enjoy keeping a mix of like you know working on my own stuff, teaching other people how to do things. Um, and also, you know, working with other people on their own projects, um, you know, uh, being independent uh, and like only doing your own stuff all the time, obviously has its uh, has its rewards. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I a lot of I gain a lot of perspective from you know, talking with people in dance, talking with people who are doing acoustic composition, uh, classical stuff, um, working in theater, and you know, just even you know, all the stuff I'm doing with MatroLab. Um, where you have somebody come into the space and you think well i never would have thought of you know looking at lighting design this way or looking at you know using an eight channel speaker system uh this way um or you know all these different things that then you know you take home with you and you, you want to start playing with yourself um and it just it's a constant feedback loop uh and a really I positive think one I will, that. Uh,
1: how can i how can i say this having your hands in having your irons and multiple (laughs) fires I don't know why hands are going in fires on this episode (laughs) having your irons and multiple fires is such an important thing Uh, I know that I would go crazy if if I didn't, and I I really do believe you hit on a very important point in that one, and uh, you know, being someone that uh, went to cucardio with you uh, for two years, I always saw that you had so many different projects going on yes. all the time. If it was collaborating with other students in the music department, or a leading choir, or presenting uh, seven-channel compositions, I was like this this person probably is able to clone themselves in the background <laughs> because there's so much going on here. Uh, was how uh, I felt. Uh, I I be curious to know doing all of these uh different projects and embarking in in, in all of them what are softwares that you use whether it be for sound design or composition uh what's your what's your toolbar of uh, softwares look like what DAW, what everything I, i'd be really curious to know uh, if we could go down the list and in detail please uh, i really want to know your workflow because i'm probably going to steal some we'll <laughs> letting you know right now <laughs>
2: I mean, it's uh, it's nuts. Uh, Like, yeah, I imagine my my main workhorse uh, for audio is Reaper, um, just because it handles like crazy huge multi-channel audio files really easily. Um, I work a lot in Ambisonics, which is this crazy mathematical format uh, they designed in the 70s uh, out at Oxford, um, which you can sort of mix independent uh, of your speakers. you basically have, like, a sound file that represents sound at a variety of angles that then you can feed to your computer to say, you know, make this a 5-1 piece, make this a 7-1 piece, make this for, you know, 22.2, that, like, box uh, setup that is uh, designed in Japan. Uh, all these different ways of presenting audio um, is super flexible. Um, also, eats up your storage space like nobody's business. Um, so, I, I, I like to work with uh, multiple computers. Um I often, and I have a, a main uh, storage server uh, right now on TreeNAS, uh, which is a version of uh, Linux, which is like handling, okay. doing doing all my file stuff uh, behind the scenes, um, making sure that all my backups are up to date and all my computers are uh, safe. Um, right. And then focusing, it's mostly like audio and Reaper. Um, I still do some stuff in the Adobe suite. Uh, Adobe Audition is really nice uh, for cutting audio, uh, and I like the workflow of working with Premiere, um, After Effects as well, um, for visual effects, and also, like, you can program animations with audio in After can Effects, you actually? if you start getting under the hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can convert audio files to automation data, so you can, like, Why? make an LFO in... Your audio, and then just like bring it into After Effects, and you know have your way with well, it. Oh, you just kind yeah, of that's that's.
1: I've been thinking of trying different. I'm gonna. You see, this is why we have you on. <laughs> 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 Keep going.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I'm working with that. Um, I Cecilia, uh, which is a software designed at University of Montreal, um, is Cecilia Five, uh, which is the latest version, uh, is really great for sound design. I do a lot of offline, like really heavy processing in there. Um, I'm still using Max uh, quite a bit uh, by Cycling 74, which I use to like piece little controllers together, uh, software to make stuff talk to each other, um, controls some sound design. Uh, Max is a little iffy on the anti-aliasing side. I don't always like how the synthesis sounds, um, but uh, for the most part, it gets stuff done. Um, I just updated to R- uh, Isotope RX9 um, last week which has been a royal trip Uh, advanced is really great um, for like using it, what you're supposed to do (laughs) in terms of like, um, you know, cleaning up audio and, you know, bulk processing lots and lots and lots of files. Uh, It's really great for that. But it's also like the machine learning and the algorithm is so robust uh, that it's really fun to just uh, screw with it. And, you know throw stuff that you're not supposed to um, the new like focus on like denoise guitar uh, can give you some crazy effects if you're throwing like seagulls into it um, which is I'm working on for a project which will uh, hopefully be in the winter um, and I'm using sound particles a lot it's like a this crazy 3d animation software that you can use to move audio in 3d space uh, you do granular synthesis with like particle clouds that you can know control how they move in three-dimensional spaces and like if you're working with your animator uh you can get you know 3d models and make it so like the sound sounds like it's you know, bouncing off the front of uh a shape or a house or like pouring down liquids across stuff and like really creative motion but it's like crazy like 100 hour renders uh that you know you can use your <laughs> computer as a space heater in the meantime oh my um, gosh <laughs> yeah yeah no it's a. Uh, It's, like, I think it's used a lot by Hollywood people. So, like, they definitely, you know, when when budget isn't a problem, um, you can definitely have some crazy, crazy computers thrown at it. In terms of, like, other stuff, uh, I'm still using Native Instruments Reactor uh, quite a bit. It just sounds really clean. Uh, It's really great for, like, doing digital synthesis. Um, VCV Rack uh, is fantastic. Um, The community (laughs) is getting, you know, increasingly weirder. Oh really? I won't. I won't go into details, but I like made the unfortunate mistake of opening Facebook earlier today, uh, and like it was full of like people arguing over. Uh, oh boy, what should be released? And you know who's who's in the moral right, and just like all this stuff over. Uh, you know we should just make the software better and work together. But uh, I mean, we're we're arguing over. Sort of like nitty gritty of the underlying stuff. Sounds like a um, lot of hands and fires but, over there. Oh yeah, oh and, <laughs> no, a hundred percent, and everybody's convinced they're right, um, <laughs> I, as always. Um, yeah, of course, it's like, the internet. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. But uh, like, I'm also doing a lot of stuff now um, on, on on an iPad. Uh, like, VCV runs great on iOS. Uh, Moog has some like really crazy great synthesizers um, that sound really nice for for iOS um, and. It's great for programming um i'm also you know, using the t-stick a lot just because i have access to it um and hopefully yeah. more people will have access to more of them um as time goes on um i mean you can find all the information if you want to build one on github of course that requires you have a 3d printer and yeah. these sorts of things so fingers crossed we uh, sort that one out
0: but yeah i, I want to talk a little bit about the t-stick oh, after yeah. if um, you don't mind
2: yeah, yeah um but just like one last little little trick that i've been doing a lot of audio is just like running DAWs inside of daws um, that's the reaper I mean, thing that's a reaper thing right there oh yeah yeah no it's uh like logic is great um i mean i've been using logic you know since logic pro x came out you know, almost 10 years ago now um i remember logic 9 sadly <laughs> uh but uh it's like logic is really great uh but i, I don't always love how it handles audio editing uh and it tends to do the Apple thing of like doing a lot of things for you. Cause it just kind of assumes what you want to do. Um, which Reaper is the opposite. Uh, it kind of does exactly what you want it to, to a fault. Um, or well, exactly what you tell it to do to a fault. Um, which, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, I also like, I mean, this is a blast from the past. I found my DVD copy of reason intro to reason six. Um, oh my God. day. Reason six. Yeah. yeah.
1: Reason um, six, man. Yep. Yeah.
2: Um, so like i i've gone back and i like found that stuff and was like hey this is actually pretty pretty useful uh so like i I, i'm now also using a a bit of reason as well just because i mean some some of the software like their hardware emulations just sound great uh like default reverb uh definitely has a character that i I like to it um it's just kind of like you know whatever's the fastest to get the job done and like it's so like reason 12 is so lightweight um you can run it as a VST. Uh, which then becomes, you know, running it as a VST inside of logic that then you're busting all your audio from logic into Reaper. Um, it's this like crazy DAW soup. Um, and if we're lucky, you know, then all that's being sent to like spat revolution, uh, or some sort of spatialization software to like complete the like comical chain of stacks of audio software piled on top of each other.
1: I just want to Uh, pause on a second there. Like some people will stick with one DAW their entire life, you know? (laughs) like I know some people who swear by Pro Tools and only Pro Tools every day you know Mm -hmm. and uh, over here we got just uses all of them
0: (laughs) in one yeah
1: (laughs) reason to logic to spaff (laughs) that's like I mean that's insane that's crazy signal flow Casey
0: what's your favorite (laughs) dog yes yeah all of them (laughs) them.
2: I mean like yeah I know like sometimes you just got to like open one audio file in Ableton because you decide that like the time stretching in Ableton sounds better than the time stretching in Logic or whatever um Mm. and like they they all they all have their way of like the way that they're designed they lead to different results uh so it's just great to try them all and it's yeah just like crazy that I mean like my workflow from like you know almost 15 years ago like all the stuff I did in high school um I can run on an iPad now um it's just crazy seeing how far that technology's come and such a short course. time span.
0: I guess the next question for me would be: What um, you mentioned before that you're you're working on something new? Well, you're mm-hmm. always working mm-hmm. on something new, but uh, what's what's a personal audio project that you're working on or involved in?
2: Uh, so I did a like a long term project uh, with Gabriel Couillard uh, over the pandemic. Oh yes, uh, the, uh, the dry the drones. Uh, not that one. Uh, we also did that one. Yes, um, I, I've I've worked a lot with Gabrielle. Uh, she's absolutely fantastic to work with, and a, a wonderful technician and a really exciting creative mind. Uh, you know, coming from a background in theater instead of audio. And again, it's you know really great perspectives um, to work on stuff together with. But me and her uh, streamed for a year uh, together doing live drones, and uh, we af- after a year uh, it was kind of like artistically where we. You know, and kind of decided it's this is a good place to end it. Um, but uh, we we came back uh, and worked on some files over the summer that uh, we've been sending back and forth that will hopefully be in a little package, uh, you know maybe an album or an EP or something um, later in the year. Um, and then, you know as always, I've got other stuff going. Um, I'm writing some presets and like some default synthesizers um, for the Raspberry Pi, uh, the guitar and me project. Um, I've got some dance stuff that's going to be coming out, uh, as I mentioned, with Lucy Fondel, uh, the Windy Days stuff, hopefully back next summer. Uh, And I'm also working um, with some colleagues at Concordia as well, um, working on some stuff that will hopefully be shown to the public uh, in 2020 um, in the winter um, in a real space uh, out in the the visualization studio at Concordia, which I had a hand in helping develop the spatial audio system there. And I've been working on my thesis there. Um, Luckily, uh, I've been very lucky to have access to that space. um, And we'll be having some stuff on the big display wall there that will then hopefully be repackaged uh, as like a Oculus uh, sort of VR 360 uh, video experience, which I've been doing uh, more of over the pandemic. Um, I think the 360 uh, video space is, it's, Almost there. Um, you know, we're still waiting on a few key things, but it's it's still really exciting technology, um, and I'm you know excited to be at the forefront. Absolutely, of some of that stuff I want
1: to ask I I wanted to ask you about because uh, I feel like when you finish Concordia, mm-hmm. you never really left Concordia. You oh, know no, what I mean? No, no. You're very much very involved in Concordia, and I believe you will be for a long time to come. Hopefully. Uh, a lot of people graduate from the electroacoustic program. They throw it on the resume. They throw it on their LinkedIn, and that's the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I am one of those people, honestly. Uh, I, I hang around the mailing list, the Discord server. You know, I try to be a little bit involved, but you are involved on steroids. And I really want to know h- how. How did you? Do, how do you do that? Like, how, like I, 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 I don't know. <clears throat> Like, I just want to know how that came to be and how you maintain it. Really,
2: mm-hmm. I mean, I was. Lucky um, in terms of like, uh, I got really involved at Concordia, you know, from the get go, like from Portfolio Week, um, mm-hmm. the, like before coming into the program. Uh, I flew out from Newfoundland. And because of the logistics of flying from Newfoundland, you have to come for a whole lot of days, especially in the winter. Uh, so I was able to go to a bunch of classes and you know, really fell in love with the program and got to know the professors. And then we already had that rapport coming in. And I just like kept building on that. And then, uh, uh friend of mine, uh, who's you know, another one of these Concordia lifers, uh, Peter Van Haften, um, you know, mentioned to me that uh, there was going to be a position opening at Matrolab. Um friend, Joe Brown, who also was uh, a Concordia electroacoustic student, um, was leaving um, the position at Matrolab to go work at a Moment Factory, which is this uh, really crazy um, design group uh, here in town. Work with some like really really uh, high skilled clients, and so I was able to you know sneak into that position at Matra Lab. and then uh, I was also you know lucky enough that I had done my independent studies, um, or well done a independent actually two independent studies, one before the spatial audio system was installed, and one um, while it was being installed. That kind of I mean I finished all the composition stuff before the spatial audio system really got finalized, and then presented it uh, the next term in the winter. Um, and was able to, um, you know, David Clark, um, who's the manager of the studio there, uh, came to me and said, you know, these audio tools, these spatial audio tools are really, really, really exciting. Um, they bring such a level of immersion that you can't just get with a screen. Um, but, you know, they're, they're obtuse and they're weird. Uh, and we, we haven't really figured out how to interface with them. Um, so he asked me to, to come on for a contract position um because it's related to my thesis research and so forth um to help work with these tools and you know do stuff that i'd already be doing um but you know make sure that they're available to the concordia crowd and also work with stuff uh, from the concordia students as well um and i was also lucky um you know i mentioned la park earlier the performing arts research cluster um i was really lucky that um before i graduated um we had had these discussions with the research cluster that um, we could really advance what's going on, um, you know, re- in terms of research and, um, you know, the conversations that we're having at Concordia. If we establish this position of an associate researcher, um, so these people who aren't necessarily at Concordia but continue to be involved in the research scene, uh, you know, if they're independent or if they're at another university or what have you. Um, and so I've been able to stay at La uh, as a, a associate researcher. Um, Discussing um, you know, ongoing projects and meeting new students, and then of course, as students come through the program, I'm meeting other people, um, and they're you know going on to do other things, and I'm able to continue to work with them. And I'm also just uh, you know lucky with you know being able to have this balance of doing doing lots of projects, uh, doing lots of projects, and uh, right. also you know having availabilities in my schedule that just sometimes line up with stuff that's going on at Concordia. Um, you know, so sometimes El will send out an email saying, you know, Hey, we need this many people for a laptop orchestra concert. Um I saw that email. I saw that around. email.
1: I was late. Uh yeah, I uh, was thinking about joining, but uh I saw it late. I would have been
0: so down. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. didn't see it. I'm not on the mailing list anymore. <laughs> you gotta subscribe you gotta get back to that on. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know how I got off. Anyways, so I mean,
2: there's there's a lot of More emails time. going on there, um, which is, you know, part of the thing. You have to be able to keep up with this like constant avalanche of emails uh, yeah. from all That's ends. The thing. Um I feel like I get like a hundred emails a day at this point. It's uh, it's terrible, um, but uh, I mean, you you sift through all of it and you know pick the stuff that interests you. And yeah, I'm just lucky that you know that people at Concordia have enjoyed working with me and have enjoyed you know both the products that I I bring to them, the deliverables, but also just you know enjoy working with me as a person. Um, so I'm able to keep coming back for things. And then you know with Matrolab, it's this wonderful position of being able to stay in the Concordia research scene. Yes, um, that's still that's
1: key, I think, to what you're doing. Honestly, yeah. that position yeah. is very
2: key. To, to some extent, um, but it's, I, I don't know if it's just that position or if it's, you know, I think as always, it's a, it's a spectrum of, you know, everything supporting yes. each other. True. Um, and, you know, not being, being in the wonderful place where I don't have to say yes to everything that comes across my desk. Um, I can say no to projects and, you know, pick stuff that, you know, maybe not doesn't pay the best, but, uh, is of interest to me um, while also still being able to, you know, take positions. I actually wanted to
1: ask you about that. Um, How much of the projects that you do are freelance based Um, out of everything you do, compositions, drones, Concordia work, like everything. uh,
2: A lot of it is freelance. Um, I mean, it's a question of it. It's a, it's a really blurry line sometimes. Okay. Um, How so? Just in terms of like, you know, I might be officially working with somebody for something for, you know, a technical support of loading them in and doing theater technician stuff, you know, stuff from Metro Lab that is like very much that contract, that's pay sheet, that's the traditional Concordia stuff. Uh, but then, mm-hmm. you know, they come around and say, hey, you know, we're gonna be presenting this at a theater somewhere else, or we need help writing this max patch. Uh, we have this max patch from 2005 and it won't open anymore. Can you figure out why? Um, and then it turns into freelance work. Um, and so it's this like cycle of both um, I think a lot you know more things are freelance and they are contract uh, just in terms of like what I'm paid for um, but there's still you know a lot of contracts that are well they aren't contracts they're you know just research projects that I'm doing because I'm interested in them, and again, I have the the flexibility and um, in part also you know because they fall into my master's thesis, so I can know, just say that it's, you know, research and I don't have to worry too much about getting paid for it because I have these other sources of income from elsewhere. And sometimes it's uh, it's it's confusing in terms of just like, you know, I write something for fun uh, and then I get a call and it's like, hey, do you have a piece? Uh, we're putting together a multi-channel concert. And it's like, well, I you know, I finished this just kind of to make myself happy, um, but it's here. Mm. So it becomes nice. a freelance project. Um, and that's always, you know, exciting. Um, and that's almost how things have been for a while. Uh, I felt like I was lucky a lot in Concordia that I'd like do a project or do something on my own to procrastinate doing the stuff that was an actual like pressing deadline. Um, and then it turns into an assignment for something else or a, a freelance project or a concert. Right. These I, sorts of things. I
1: wanted to also ask you, because obviously all these things involve people involve people contacting you you contacting people so how do you go about maintaining your network and your relationships uh when you meet someone do you have a business card on you do you slide them the the good old website like what's your how do you function with all of
2: that i have been really really lucky um like often it's just i like either i meet like somebody in person and we get to talking and i can just like give them my email or my phone number um or it's, uh, it's a personal personal friend who gets in contact with me about a project. Uh, or, you know, I've had a lot of projects of just like, you know, you get an email and you're on the CC and it's like, hey, you know, I can't take this project, but, you know, here are some people that I think are good. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm lucky that I have, I have friends who, who recommend me for those sorts of things. You know, like the Matrolab position, you know, that wasn't something I was looking for. That wasn't something I applied for. It was just kind of like, hey, uh, you know, Peter sent me an email and said, you know, this, I know that Joe, you're looking to leave this position. Um, I know Casey is, has background in, you know, everything that we you need to keep the theater running. I done got to do some lighting stuff at my high school in the theater as well as, you know, live sound and all of that, which obviously I did more of at Concordia. So it was just the right set of people knew I had the skill set. Um, people knew that I was around. Um, and so, I mean, I was able to get into these positions. And now it's just uh, continuing to, you know, go through these you know, millions of emails that I get every day um, and, you know, thinning through the stuff that isn't necessarily uh, worth their time. relevant to me. Um, but yeah. uh, it's also, you know, trying, trying to pay it forward as well. Uh, forwarding saying, Hey, you know, I can't take this, but, uh, you know, I, I know other people that can um, and getting them into right. those positions, um, which, you know, doesn't always work out, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm not taking everything that comes in front of my email. So, I'm not assuming that yeah, of course. they're, so they're going to be taking everything. You almost uh, need like a personal yeah, yeah.
1: assistant, you know, someone who can just s- do the emails for you, do the file backing up for you. Like, you know, that oh, yeah. that should be maybe an investment in the years to come, Casey. That's right. Uh,
2: I'm thinking about it. Um, yeah. Or at least some way to automate it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That would be right more
1: on. your thing. <laughs> I'm just going to write a max patch that just swifts through my emails <laughs> for me. Yeah. <or laughs> oh, uh.
2: I mean, we're we're close. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, of that, course, you are. <laughs> that, well, it's even like I mean that predictive text from Gmail. You know, like it can almost yes. write your business That's emails true. for you at this point. Yeah, uh, it's. I uh, have used it a couple of times.
1: I'm not going to lie with clients. Once in a while, I just like, I get an email and I'm like, yes, have a, have a, and then it's just like, oh, wonderful day. We could definitely complete that project for you. It just kind of just snaps it into place for me.
2: Yeah. So the mix uh, needs uh, another day, week, month. (laughs) 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 Exactly. I Uh.
1: haven't used that one yet, but I'm sure it's going to come. It's going to be typed in eventually. Oh yeah.
2: (laughs) yeah. 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 I mean, you know, the, the data collection that all these companies have, um, is so robust and I mean, like, it's one of those things of like, the more I learn about computers, the more it's a miracle that they work at all. Um, but uh, oh, at, really? at, at the same time, um, you know, the uh, the machine learning stuff, I think, because I've been able to study it so much, I, like, can see how these systems are working. And it's definitely, I yeah, know, worrying at times on, like, how much data they have on you. But at the same time, you know, these are the costs of uh, getting these services for free, um, which... I don't know. I don't necessarily want to wade into that f- philosophical debate right now. Um, no, I understand. But it's uh it's it's great uh, in terms of like what you can do with these systems uh, from an automation standpoint and also like musically, like the way that we've teach computers to improvise. Um, still a little goopy, but uh you know, exciting trends. Let's in go back all to directions. your
1: uh MetroLab position. Mm-hmm. I I really am interested in that as someone who pondered going into the theater world uh, I always I listened to a podcast a while ago and uh, for the first time ever on this audio podcast I was listening uh, so a podcast where audio people were being interviewed pardon me um, mm. we had someone from the theater field and then it clicked in my mind y- yes the theater field is definitely a a, a field with uh, audio people involved <laughs> Can you like describe what do you do, what you do as a theater technician, Uh, lighting, live audio, Mm -hmm. but like really get nitty gritty with it. Uh, What do you use? What's your nine to five like, you know, like, what's a typical day like? I really would love to know that. Well,
2: I mean, this is the beauty of there's like what people normally associate with, you know, the theater technician stuff. That you see more with a commercial theater. but we're lucky at Mare Lab that because we're within a university, we are a research theater. Um, mm-hmm. our sp- Our space is pretty small. Um, and uh, you know there's there's not a huge amount of space uh, to put an audience. Um, but it's still you know a space with a, a really nice dance floor. Uh, we've got an eight channel sound system. We've got you know six sets of theater grade lights uh, with the DMX mixing board and full-scale industrial dimmers. Uh, that are suspended in the grid um, as well and like we have an extra 25 pounds on that grid uh, you know if people want to put stuff in there Um, we've got you know it's an all black it's a black box theater space but we also have you know room for projection screens or i mean with our last uh, resident who i just finished loading out um last weekend uh last saturday um like she we worked on wrapping the whole theater in white paper uh, and using it as a whole, like white box projection space, to like rebuild uh, the sort of theater that they're going to go and perform. And so, you know, I a normal like load in. Um, you know, we send emails back and forth. Somebody applies to the theater and says, "Hey, I've got this project. You know, these are the dates that I'm available." Um, and then we we back and forth and say, you know, this is a sandeep uh, Of course, our director has a say on you know what lines up with. Our research interests in terms of improvisation and dance and movement and music and video and all these things um and so from there um email back and forth with the client once stuff is lined up um jen who's our like coordinator for working with the great concordia bureaucracy which um can be a pain sometimes um especially in the last year with the pandemic you know what what are we allowed to have uh, who's allowed to be there etc um, yeah but As we worked out these emails, we get all the tech specs uh, and they show up um, and I say, you know, here's the gear that we have, Um, you know, here's your needs. We move lights to how they want to position stuff, how they're going to be using the theater. Uh, We set up the soundboard, you know, do they want to just have a stereo feed with like something that's easy, you know, an aux cord that they can just come and plug their, their phone into. Uh, do they want to use, we've got some old MOTU uh, interfaces as well as some of the ARMY UFXs, these great multi-channel audio interfaces, uh, you know, if that's what people want to be using, you know, do they want to have a small MIDI interface, uh, Fader Fox or, you know, innovation Novation keyboard, you know, what are, what are their needs there? Um, and then, you know, telling them like what we can't provide, but uh, what we can get within the university system. So it's the sort of stuff of, you know, we can't get you a cinema grade camera, but you know if you go upstairs uh, there's this wonderful thing uh, called the center for digital arts the cda um, where they can meet with you and get you you know cameras and projector really crazy good projectors um you know we have some microphones but you know you can always get more from the cda and like if you don't have a laptop they can help with that um and so from there then it's uh you know Keeping in touch with the artists, you know, making sure the space is working. Um, you know, the Concordia network hasn't gone into a weird ball and they can't access the Wi-Fi, which is more of a problem than it should be, really. Um, oh no way. But uh yeah, I you know, it's all this stuff, especially now, uh people are still doing classes online and you get, you know, a thousand people in a in the university building who are like watching a hockey game and also trying to be in a Zoom call and then you get like a confused call from an artist like, ah, we all got kicked off the internet. We can't figure out why. Uh, You know, like chasing down these little bugs and, you know, working with the artists to make sure that their time is enjoyable and then, you know, helping them get out of the space uh, when that comes to the time. I mean, they mostly Mm handle their own gear um, but of course I can help with stuff there Um, and then it's uh, when we don't have artists in residence, um, you know, I'm still getting my hourly pay so it's you know trying to come in and make sure you know how, how stuff labeled in the theater um is the velcro coming off the walls that is you know keeping the curtains up and does that need to be replaced um you know just checking on stuff all the little details that keep the space together and keep it clean um and then also working with sandeep bhagwadi um in some of his own stuff for other Matro lab uh performances so like at ecom uh, where jane did his uh, masters, and I've had the luck of working with Gabrielle, who's studying there, and we have a lot of collaborators over there that, you know, they have a, a yearly show called Ni Blanche that they do at the uh, the end of February. Um, oh, you're where, involved in that? Yeah, no way! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, no I... Way. Of course cool. you
1: are! That's amazing! I, I, I,
2: I get to do <laughs> That's really cool. Um, you know, all the diffusion for working with that, Um, but it's also, like, you know, working with Sandeep and saying, you know, like, this is his interest for a piece this year, uh, so you know, work on the Max Patch for that, or you know, make sure the laptop gets there in the right time and, you know, working on, you know, these other skills that I have from working in intermedia, you know, stuff like OBS or working with the video editor to, you know, when we had a show at uh, the Musee d'Art Contemporaire, the Mac uh, here downtown, Uh, I got to do some audio mixing, um, both for for video and also some standalone audio pieces that were going to be presented in the gallery and then ultimately ended up on the website um, because, you know, it's the pandemic. So sadly we couldn't, have I a, want to an talk to you also
1: in. about, I know that, uh, obviously you do lighting. I recently started, uh, working in lighting at, uh, at my job, uh, on top of doing location audio. And I'm quickly noticing the similarities between lighting and sound where you can diffuse light. You can reflect light, uh, light can be absorbed. It can be really, it really plays a, such an important role in everything that is visual. Um, how was it for you to do a transition from audio to lighting? Because for me, I, I I was a bit scared at first, but now it's making more sense. Uh, what was the jump in, from those two uh, paths
2: like for you? I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, they're pretty similar. Um, I was lucky. Um, like I said, um, my my high school had a, a really great theater, uh, the Holy Heart Theater, which was this wonderful combination of an incredibly high tech theater with no house technician. Um, so I got to cut my teeth pretty early in terms of just like working with a close friend of mine, Lyndon Thorpe, um, who's now a professional uh, AV technician out in Brooklyn in New York. Um, and so you know I. Sort of early on, got to figure out, you know, oh, the signal routing stuff, you know, working with the DMX mixer, it's all pretty similar. And then uh, when I got to taking my, my video class uh, in the Intermedia program at Concordia, um, we, did, we did lighting um, and I was lucky um, to be able to have that experience and like learn kind of officially like this is how they do stuff in this in the uh the filming world and then it's just like taking all these bits and pieces and making the transition into theater and it's you know making sure that you know as long as it works for the performance and uh looks good i mean that's most of the concern and uh you know like you said it's all pretty similar stuff and i remember having a, a talk with eldad sabari uh, during one of my independent studies i was talking about you know it's if you keep an open mind and when you're working with media stuff and like to start to understand how some of the stuff works, um, you'll notice a lot of similarities. You know, like a green screen is, you know, it's a threshold uh, with, yeah. you know, it's either a color or, you know, it's a light value or something, which like if you learn how to work in audio AudioGate, uh, you already know how a threshold works. So it's just kind of thinking like, okay, this is a threshold effect, but it's on a video. Um, and so, you know, all these ideas sort of cross pollinate and you just sort of think of uh, you know, timing and control for lighting is, you know, not too similar to you have to bring your levels up and down and you have your cue points and all of this. And, you know, it's also you know, working with theater stuff, uh, you know, if you're an audio technician, you're working in QLab, lab. And if you're a lighting technician, you're working in QLab. lab. Um <laughs> so there's just a lot of similarities in terms of the software there. Um and it's across everything as well, you know, I'm sure as anthony can attest to um you know a vjing piece of software and a djing piece of software yeah. aren't too similar one plays audio clips and one plays video clips um, that's exactly it so once once you it this but this is the thing it's like developing a skill set through actually understanding what you're doing uh which i think concordia like mostly does well i i think it kind of sometimes falls on its face a little bit there but um they still give us the freedom that we can learn some of that stuff on our own but uh Yeah, no, if you like understand sort of, you know, the broad strokes of what you're doing um, and enough that you can take it from one thing to the other, as opposed to like, I set this mixer to this things and that's how it works. And that's how my life goes, Um, which I think can be how some people learn audio. And then it's a a real shock when they come to video or lighting because they haven't, they've learned the fundamentals of, uh, you know, setting a mixing board for a certain level, but they haven't learned why you do that. And, like, how to change it for a show or what have you. That if you actually dig into um, the technique and the fundamentals, it can really blossom into other uh, mediums quite easily.
0: Earlier, you mentioned uh, the T-Stick. And I see that you collaborated in a composition uh, yes. called SOS yes. for uh, this year's edition of uh, Festival Internacional de la Imagen in yes. May, and also uh, again in September, to, mm-hmm. uh, ARS Electronica. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about the piece? What yeah. did you contribute and uh, how does your contribution interact with the other artists' work?
2: So uh, I was I was incredibly lucky uh, that while I was doing my degree at Concordia, um, I was able to go to Colombia during the summer to do a field school over there and also present at La Facile de la Imagine um, 2019. And I was able to build some connections, um, with, um, Tata Sabalos, um, who was, uh, one of the other collaborators on this project, as well as Gabriel Guyard, who was, uh, here in town, um, as well as Andres. Uh, yeah, I, I met, um, I, I, met Andres, um, as well down there, um, as well as, uh, Camila Campos, uh, Quintana and Christian Felipe, uh, Jaldes, um, who provided the visuals for sos um okay and again you know they enjoyed working with me um i enjoyed working with them um we connected through whatsapp uh, and stayed in touch um and i presented at festival de la imagine 2020 um because i had continued to work uh, telematically with uh, tata um which uh, tata is research has been in uh, telematic performance. So this wonderful ability that we have over the internet to make music with our friends, no matter where they are in the world. Um, and so we were able to keep writing. And then um, when it came around to Festival de la Imagine this year, um, me and Gabrielle were invited to work again with Tata. Um, and the week that uh, we started writing and we had our first uh, you know, digital meeting, um, as it was the pandemic, um, the protest started in Colombia. Um, right, which right. Uh, yeah, I was in Colombia shortly after that, actually. Oh, oh. um, so uh, I mean, as as Anthony can attest to, um, he, uh, the political climate uh, building up to it uh, in Colombia was, um, you know, at a boiling point. Um, there was a lot of uh, dissatisfaction with the government, uh, with the handlement handling of um, the pandemic, um, and the the refugee crisis, uh, as well as um just generally uh corruption and these sorts of things and it uh escalated into um protests um our visual artists were, were working in cali um and were able to you know capture video of the protests and we you know just kind of had a meeting and we said you know it would be irresponsible uh really to write about anything other than the protests we felt right, to not talk about it um, yeah no exactly, exactly. Um, and we are you know, lucky enough that you know, we can present at a you know, pretty high-profile academic festival at a conference and still be able to talk about politics uh, in our work, um, you know, fresh and you know, pretty raw politics. Um, so um, Tata um, was there in uh, Manizales in, and our visual artists were working in Cali. Um, and they were able to collect all this video material as well as uh, Tata recorded all these wonderful... Uh, voice recordings of um some political sayings um you know all all the protest um sayings that were getting popular on social media uh as well as um he recorded the names of the uh 30 victims at the time that had been uh, killed by the police uh throughout the protests you know just through the like the month the initial months that we spent writing the piece um and um you know uh, definitely all of the uh the political unrest um, definitely fed the the piece, uh, both you know, and all of the information that we we're putting into the piece, but also, um, you know, the military crackdowns and Cali. Um, you know, it's hard to have a have a rehearsal when the government shuts off the internet. Um, so we were, you know, working, you know, around the clock basically as much as we could to uh, get timings that worked for everybody, and you know. Right. When well, stuff I would mean, fall the, apart, the internet
0: just move it. wasn't completely shut down because times it was,
2: um, um, from my understanding, or at least regionally. Um, mm. had, but uh, I mean, Cali had you know close to several several thousand uh, military members um, from what I remember. Um, the Colombian government sort of falsely claimed uh, that you know that all these protesters were involved uh, with the uh, the FARC. Um, Whereas, you know, they were students and, you know, people who were just generally fed up with uh, how things were, had been going um, in Colombia. And so we had this initial very raw uh, creation of the piece um, that we, you know, looked at, you know, SOS was, you know, the hashtag, SOS Colombia was the hashtag that sort of swept across uh, social media. Um, And, you know, Tata had pointed out that. You know, the SOS, you know, both has this sort of musical motif, um, you know, from Morse code, um, the short, 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 long, 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 short, 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 um, but it's also, you know, it's a Rondo format. Uh, it has a, yeah, ABA, uh, setting. Um, so we took all this and, uh, wrote an audio piece, uh, recorded our live performances. I was working with the T-stick and the processing, all of this voice, um, doing a lot of really interesting parallel processing and feedback and, um, you know, playing, uh, this SOS motif that we played between the musicians here, uh, me and Gabrielle, and then our, our musicians in, in Columbia, Right. um, to create this initial version of the piece. Um, and then, you know, ours Electronica, uh, had a call for works in the summer, um, and, you know, crisis, uh, and emergency was one of the topics, uh, that they were focused on. Um, so, you know, me and Gabrielle, um, you know, saw this call and said, you know, the piece would probably be a good fit um, for the festival. And, you know, it's a good political message to get in front of more people. Um, so we, we talked with Tata and uh, the, the team down there and, you know, got their clearance to send it in. And uh, we were really lucky. Um, the executive team, um, which was in part headed by um, one of our professors at Concordia, Dr. Ricardo Del yeah. Fara, um, you know, wrote back to us and said, uh, you know, we want you... Not only to be a short uh, presentation of this piece, but we want it to be part of uh, the balance unbalance panel. Um, you know, talking about uh, the political climate, um, both in Colombia, but you know, also throughout the world in terms of climate change and you know broader political trends. Um, and so, we met together and you know felt that the video was really quite strong and could basically stay as is. Um, but we wanted to you know work with the audio and kind of explore this feeling that we had had of um you know the canadian media coverage and the international media coverage of columbia when the protests first started you know it was everywhere uh and very quickly it faded um from the international media scene um but you know uh, the protests continued yeah uh, throughout the summer and you know stuff continues to um you know, be very much in flux. Um, the vaccination rollout has not been handled well in Colombia, and you know, it was all this frustration that we had about you know, people not paying attention to what we felt was a very important political issue. And um, so we felt that we could revisit the audio, um, the three of us, me and Gabrielle and Tata, and uh, create this new version for ours, uh, accompanied with uh, the introduction that we recorded together. Um, so that was how that came to be. Wow, wow. that's uh, incredibly rich, and uh, you lived very so
1: many enriching experiences. I, uh, I, 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 don't know what to say. Honestly, that's it's crazy how music can transcend uh, into so many domains. And
0: no, music has always been uh, part of politics, and it's very interesting to see and fun to see uh, electroacoustics um, in politics
1: be involved. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a. Uh, it's fantastic. And uh, and th- this is why we, this is why we do this podcast because we want to, you know, obviously we want to talk about audio and technical things. We have a technical audience, but these are conversations that need to be had and, uh, things that we shouldn't shy away from discussing. So, uh, I, I personally just want to thank you for sharing that, Casey. That's, uh, I think the impact you had uh, helped a, lo- a lot of people out there. I think that's the the best way I can put it. Thank you. Of course. And
2: I mean, thank you for asking about it as well. Um, you know, it's good that we don't hide we don't These pieces, uh, of we have
1: to be very, uh, no, uh, it, it has to be uh, open. I think uh, you said the word pieces and I kind of, I kind of want to transition to that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. uh, you have uh, a very compositions that uh, I listened to uh, before recording. And uh, I don't even know which one to start with because they're, yeah. they're all so different and they're all so uh, unique in their own way. Uh, I think, I think if I had to choose what to start with, the first one I listened to was uh Metro. I um, think I remember hearing
0: that one in I, class. I, I, right oh. away
1: when I read the description on bank, I'm like, ah, oh, this is a, this is a, 205 or 305 uh, project for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's, a two, that's a deep cut reference. Uh, unless you did the electroacoustic program at, at Concordia, you do not know uh, what I just uh, said. That 205 and <laughs> 305 are uh, electroacoustic 1 and electroacoustic 2. They're basically like uh, the nucleus of the electroacoustic courses you take at Concordia. Um, do you want to kind of overview, uh, go into detail with uh, Metro and feel free to bleed into the other compositions? Let's really get into like the music that you create. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, so Metro, yeah, it, you hit it right on the head. It was 205, um, my final project. Um, so, like, starting in Electroacoustics One, um, they start to let you into some of the soundscape stuff. Um, and soundscape recording is really, really special to me. Um, you know, I really enjoyed sound effects and, you know, Foley and these creation of spaces as a kid in film and EA and multi channel audio is so, so exciting for that. And so I wanted to, um, you know, start working with that. And Metro was you know, really the first like multi-channel soundscape piece I got to work with. Um, and it was also, um, you know, I was really interested in. Uh, we have this wonderful dope for A one hundred system um, at Concordia. Yes, I missed that which, thing. Uh,
1: oh uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I, I feel bad <laughs> for too. it uh,
2: in, in the pandemic. Um, I mean, those those kids who are it's starting out, lonely. yeah, I'm yeah, about to play with it oh, yet. Oh man, um, I didn't
1: even think about that. That's crazy! Oh, that sucks. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, I, I would have to break into that studio and just use it.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, f- again, I, I feel bad for that synthesizer. It's so lonely. Um, but, uh, so I, I got to start playing with, uh, some of the stuff that I had done for my, uh, portfolio. So, like the pieces that you write uh, when you're applying to get into Concordia, I started playing around in Reactor with this way that you can use a vocoder, um, which is you know a traditionally like a filter bank that you control with your voice and then you you synthesize sounds for it. I thought uh, you know this could be a fun way to process sound uh, soundscape recordings and start playing with adding texture to field recordings. So that was something that I had wanted to play with, um, and so it was like these starting ideas that then I I took into Amadeus. I was still cutting everything by hand Amadeus. for this piece. Um, which, like, is, is, I, it's a wonderful, like, blessing and a curse of Metro. Um, I would, like, again, I, I talk a bit about, you know, how Concordia sometimes you can not really learn exactly how stuff works, uh, or you get Maybe rewarded for doing things the hard way when you shouldn't be doing stuff the hard way. So like in Metro, I'd like individually apply a delay like 300 times, uh, like changing the delay time a little bit every time because I like wanted to have like really specific sorts of uh, sounds that, you know, honestly, you can just do with a reverb plugin, but uh, I mean, it was all this like little sorts of interest in detail. And um, I really wanted to, yeah, get all the little details of the Metro. Um, you know, Kevin Austin, our professor for that course uh, gave me the feedback that, uh, you know, a lot of the sort of traditional electroacoustic EA pieces looking at the metro um, are really clean. You know, they have the sorts of things that you associate with the metro that has, you know, the the sounds of the the trains, the tones that uh, you hear uh, when the doors are closing and opening and the announcements and these sorts of things. Um, but, you know, my experience is you know, somebody from Newfoundland, um, you know, where Yes, I had been on, you know, public transit. I was really lucky as a kid. I had a really privileged upbringing. I got to travel a lot, um, so it wasn't completely foreign to me. But you know, being somebody who had lived in, uh, you know, a relatively small, quiet province, and moving to Montreal and you know, getting to experience the metro, which is loud and it's got all these different sounds and all these different people, and all the stations are these really weird shapes that have these like really different acoustic characteristics. Um, and so i just wanted to you know capture all these d- different little things and you know kind of weave a little narrative out of that um so uh, i know you know kevin has said uh you know it's sort of a more cinematic view to things um which i really enjoyed getting to explore um and i think metro you know still comes across with some of that um i mean it's a little it thinks, thinks very highly of trains uh which i uh kind of I, I don't know if I would have the same approach now, um, but uh, there's still there's still a lot there that is uh, I really like. Um, and then I mean that that piece was my last piece I wrote in uh, in two oh five, and then I uh, you know went basically right back into it in three oh five. Um, you know, binary uh, was the first piece I wrote in three oh five, uh, which I've been very lucky with. It's had you know very long legs, uh, and people keep contacting me. It's uh, had some radio play in Ontario and I got asked to be programmed at New Blanche uh, back in New Blanche 2020 um the oh, last congrats. New Blanche uh, before the nice. pandemic thank you um where you know the assignment uh, that you know Gian and Anthony will be familiar with uh is that you know you want to write an abstract piece or a political piece um using the voice synthesizer and maybe the primordium which is this crazy instrument built by uh, this instrument builder Tom nunn who I draw a lot of inspiration from. I discovered his stuff through Concordia, and like you can find some really crazy contraptions he's built uh, up on YouTube. Um, but I I kind of found it funny uh, in the presentation of the assignment that I was like, well, you can be abstract or political, um, and it's like you're working with the synthesizer or the voice. Um, and I kind of felt you know as a non-binary person, um, you know I I wanted to do uh, sort of this blurring between all of them I wanted to do like an abstract political piece about binaries, um, and about, you know, how there isn't really binaries, you know, nothing's really black and white and there's all this True. gray space. Uh, and so I wanted to play with, you know, can I make this piece that is like very sort of presents in like, you have a part that's focused on the voice and a part that's focused on the synthesizer and like has some primordium elements in it as well. But you know, the whole time it's this five channel experience that has both the voice and synthesizer in all of it. And there's no real, you know, separation between the two. Um, and it, you know, confronts this sort of lack of binaries while still being abstract and, you know, paying homage to a lot of the really early uh, EA stuff. Because again, I, I cut this one all by hand. Uh, this was the last piece I did in Amadeus, um, which certainly was a decision. Um, I mean, I can't believe I continued to work exclusively in Amadeus that long. Um, but uh, i i mean it, it's a great piece of software but like you know yeah. and it brings you to some really really great understandings of like how audio works at like a waveform level um but you know the conveniences of a modern DAW uh, cannot be understated absolutely um <laughs> no. and so i i made the jump into uh i was then cutting just in adobe audition and i went i wanted to do another soundscape piece uh that explored um this stuff from my dad's side of the family is from northeastern pennsylvania uh the nepa region um and there's been a huge push uh, throughout uh, the 2000s and the 2010s uh you know this was all uh traditionally well traditionally in terms of the american colonial set it's coal mining country um and through the years of coal mining uh, the environment has become super volatile you know the, la- the land is collapsing because there's all sorts of like abandoned empty mines underneath these towns and you know as we've moved away from coil uh moved away from coil moved away from coal um there's been this move towards uh oil and fracking um and fracking has had this huge impact on the acoustic environment of you know this place that i spent so much of uh, my childhood as i was back and forth uh, between. Canada and the UK and where my family was in the States um and so I wanted to get some field recordings of how it was and sort of like represent um you know this change from mostly focused on acoustic spaces to then these synthesized spaces you know, human interaction and then also just all this machine sound that you get with fracking you know it's the oil wells you know venting gases it's all these trucks that weren't in these small communities before that are carrying you know all sorts of pollutants and heavy oil and Heavy water and you know all this stuff that you know seeps in and you know deeply infects the environment. Um you know, how can I represent this in an acoustic way? Um and I mean I get most of the way there. Um I think the crickets are a little loud. Uh that's that's my my thoughts on Into the Brush. Um you know, compositionally yeah, nice. it gets the way there, but oh man, those crickets are loud. Uh I remember the first time I presented that in class and Kevin Austin did this little stand-up routine of coming up to the front of the class and pretending to Shake the crickets out of all of his clothes. Um, because they're (laughs) they're so present.
1: (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah, I miss miss that guy. Ah,
2: no, he's fantastic. Good, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, He is
1: is fantastic.
0: I remember walking into class once and seeing him lying down on the floor and just screaming because he was just showing us how acoustics worked. He was just lying down in the corner. and
2: he was just making noises. Yep. Yeah. So, so, sounds, like I, <laughs> sounds like Kevin. Sounds like Kevin. Yep, yeah, no. And like those like early classes, when it's like, you know, he pretends to be frustrated with you and goes over and would scream into, he'd open up the uh, the upright piano and scream into it <laughs> and go back to teaching. And like the first couple of times you do it, you're like, what is this madman doing? Like, this is completely absurd. And then you get to the acoustics chapter uh, of, the, of the course and he does it again. And you're like, my God, this man is a genius. <laughs> He's been teaching us <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> This whole time. The whole uh,
1: time. The whole time. I know.
2: <laughs> which is like every interaction with Kevin. Uh, You know, I yeah, keep exactly. having, I keep having these moments and, you know, it's like, you know, five uh, years yeah. on, six years on from studying with them. You're like, you, the first time you encounter it, you're like, this isn't right. Like, I, I don't think th- this is, this is very odd. Mm-hmm. And then you just have a passing thought and you're like, damn it, damn it. He's right. <laughs> yeah. He's right.
1: Yeah, 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 I've had that literal moment so many times at Concordia.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: oh man oh yeah Oh, that's that's uh i that this is this is some good nostalgia right now i really i really, really glad uh we, yeah for real uh, let's talk let's go back uh, to uh yeah the third composition that i wanted to talk about mm-hmm. uh, called into the brush mm-hmm. um so when i listened to this one i uh once again was blown away uh I, i'm sure this one must have had some sort of like radio play as well like yeah uh, yeah, yeah of course yeah, it got it a little bit yeah please tell me about it
2: yeah uh i mean i was that was lucky enough that got uh ralph hopper uh, picked that one up for uh radio play at a college radio station in ontario and i believe it's also been featured uh here uh here in town as well as in another radio station in toronto um Okay, uh, great. Another uh, another sort of experimental leaning uh, place. Um, but yeah, Into the Brush is like, you can... I re- that piece uh, has a, like a lot of starts for some of the stuff um, that you see uh, throughout my composition. Um, that was like the first piece I did with a hydrophone, uh, which for those who don't know what a hydrophone is, it's a piezo microphone um, that you can put underwater and the sounds uh, that are transmitted through the water uh, get transferred into the microphone. And so you get this like crazy shift of perspective. Um, I was playing around with like these these underwater sounds um, that I have gone on to explore uh, more into um, uh, hydrophones. Just great, you know, and they're they're super cheap. Um, and this was kind of the start of my understanding of hydrophones being cheap. Um, I I wrote that piece um, and started telling people about the hydrophones. And uh, sure enough, uh, one of the hydrophones at Concordia got broken, um, which ended up being. The like set of dominoes that fell into me, you know, finally actually buying one. Oh, okay. Um, I see. But, uh, which has then meant it's like, it's gone into, I, I use the hydrophone quite a bit, uh, in feedback cycles, which was then, uh, one of the pieces I wrote, uh, for, for 406, uh, which is the. The advanced composition course. Uh, oh my! I think I was do. in
1: your class for that one. Yeah, I think I was in. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was yeah, with I, Michael. I, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, with Michael. Yeah.
2: Yep. Uh, which that was a that was a great experience of writing uh, feedback cycles. I, you know, it was one of my first tackles into like trying to write you know, a really sort of big piece. Um, You know, with those early electroacoustic composition classes, you have to write a lot of, a lot more pieces throughout the term, um, which is great Mm -hmm. because it gets you into other things. But once you get into those advanced classes, you can like focus into what you want to be doing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I got to take that term to just like really dig into, uh, feedback cycles, um, you know, working with feedback. Um, and so around the time I had written into the brush, um, that's the start in 305, sort of like a curve to the class where kevin gets increasingly less hands-on and kind of like lets you do your thing and find yourself uh and i was spending um more and more time uh up at mcgill um i was lucky in my first year um after i had finished the first term uh, i got this stray email from kevin uh he was saying you know your electroacoustic works uh, remind me a lot of uh, trevor wishart who's this uh famous electroacoustic composer from britain and he sent me um, some links to some pieces, um, and said, you know, listen to these over the summer, um, you know, just to get your ears uh, open to some sounds and get you thinking for writing your pieces for 305. And then, you know, as Kevin is getting less hands-on for 305, um, our colleagues at McGill, at, uh, Kermit, which I'm now uh, have the pleasure of being more hands-on involved with, uh, but the Center for Interdisciplinary Research in Music and Media Technologies at McGill I invited Trevor Wishart for a keynote lecture um and so i thought to myself you know hey you know this is a great chance uh you know trevor's giving a talk for free uh you know i might as well go to it um oh there's this concert and he's giving this other talk um and i went to these things and you know that was my introducing uh, introduction to kermit uh, and i was like wow this is a really great resource um uh, there's all these you know incredibly high profile talks from all these like really talented artists and you know not just artists it's you know, software engineers and, you know, psychologists and, you know, all these different people. Um, and so I started attending these lectures more and more. And then, you know, that really fed into sort of how I was doing stuff for feedback cycles and in my independent studies at La Park and the stuff I was working on uh, with LDAD and the laptop orchestra. Um, and then, yeah, from there, I, I got to working on some piano pieces uh, later on, you know, focusing a bit more on live stuff. And then I mean, I, I don't know. Should I keep giving a blow-by-blow blow of all these pieces? Yeah, yeah, you're doing great. Yeah. This is, like, oh, yeah. super
1: interesting stuff. You're, yeah, <laughs> oh, thank keep, you, thank yeah, you. Yeah, keep going, please. We're, yeah. we're audio nerds, so all of the nerdity is accepted.
2: <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Um, yes. So this was also, like, uh, Feedback Cycles was really fed by... Har-har. Um, um, was fed by, you know, getting to go into Kermit, but it was also... Uh, Eastern Block uh, which is this wonderful resource here in town uh, Alain Lefebvre who's this uh, incredibly talented noise musician they were giving a workshop um, at um, at um, at Eastern Block and so I was able to to go there and you know get some of that some of those ideas started um, and the wonderfulness of Concordia is, is that uh, you have 24/7 access to the studios while you're a student you know as long as somebody else hasn't booked the studio first uh, you can grab it so I was running around running like three, three to four universities a week, trying to get to all these lectures, and then doing these like crazy long studio sessions at these really weird hours, and you know, starting to to go to more shows and seeing what was happening in the city, and then trying to you know cram this all into yeah. a piece. Uh, Casey, um,
1: I, I just want to pause you for one second uh, <laughs> on what you said. I think there's something super important to say. If you're listening to this podcast right now, and you're at Concordia, or you're starting a college degree in audio, or anything of the sort, what Casey just said is what you do. That is the winning formula. Like, listen to what is being said. Absolutely. Like, weird hours at the studio, uh, going to different places, meeting new people, making connections... Like I really want to stretch that point. I think you hit on like something that's like so yeah. vital to success after graduation, uh, because all of those efforts that you did like propulsed you in this. Like, and, and I I will say it. No one's in your lane. You know, like you have you have gone to a, a a level of success where like you are doing so many amazing projects, and this is all because you worked super hard while you were at Concordia and w- w- when you're at McGill right now. Because all these things are some are are. are things things that you are passionate about and you keep pushing forward. So I, I just really want to stretch that point, uh, Casey, please, uh, please carry on.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I, you know, getting to, to feedback cycles, you know, that success also came from, yeah, no collaborating with a lot of really smart people. Um, you know, I had met, uh, some of my, my fellow music students, uh, as you do through some of the recording projects that you do, uh, you start to, you have to meet other people in the music department who aren't necessarily EA students because you need people to record. Um, And I met uh, Nisha Tahirian, who's this wonderful uh, pianist-composer who's now uh, pursuing her master's degree at Columbia College in Chicago for film scoring. Um, But at the time, um, you know, we were talking a lot about uh, gender representation um, and these issues in electroacoustics, it skews uh, super male um and so uh we had wanted to um build a uh a conference uh that would give uh students uh places to present these works and talk about stuff uh so you know in the meantime we started planning uh, the women in music conference uh which happened that december and i got to premiere feedback cycles um at that
1: uh, but yeah i was there it, i remember that yeah, i remember yeah, that that was it such was, a great day Oh yeah. It was so fun to be around people like that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It was such a fantastic day. Like so many great works presented um, from so many different backgrounds. What about um um,
1: mm -hmm. I'm sorry, if and if you if you keep going on on that point because was it wasn't there another piece that was inspired or like uh that you did?
2: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like feedback cycles um came from yeah, no, I felt that you know all these systems could be modeled in feedback. Um, and so I started also exploring feedback in the the synthesis realm and some interests I had in data bending, uh, which is where you specifically use software incorrectly um, to get it to do these sort of fringe, weird uh, edge cases. Um, And so uh, I was playing around with these sorts of things and, uh, you know, writing all the software. And, you know, while I was talking with Nusha, um, you know, I had feedback cycles as my like solo work, but you know, Nusha was coming together with this graphic score, and you know, was saying, you know, I'd love for there to be an EA part, and I have some ideas." And so, you know, I was already really interested in graphic scoring. I was doing an independent study with Eldad, uh, and I, you know, contacted him and said, "You know, hey, I've been asked to work on this piece. Uh, can I write about it for my independent study?" Um, and so, I, I got the chance to work with Nusha um, and work on uh, Longings, uh, and that bringing that piece to light, uh, and then. You know all these all these conversations that we've been having, and all these ideas um, came to you know wanting to write uh, an improvisational piece for focusing on piano and process piano, uh, which then was what I ended up working on in the winter. Um, it was this interesting idea. Um, I was always interested in distance, and uh, you know both from like a miking perspective and also this like philosophical idea. You know, Nusha was going away for an exchange. Um, there's also a pianist who uh, I've been working with uh, since the early early days. Uh, we met in junior high, uh, Simon Henley, who's now um, working a master's degree at Leeds Beckett College in England, and is also doing big things for Monster Cat, um, working behind the scenes there uh, to make the EDM machine in Canada keep moving. Yes. Um, but uh, you know, he he was located in, in London, uh, in Ontario, um, and so. I wanted to explore, you know, distance, uh, you know, piano improvisation via distance, uh, and so me and Simon and Nusha were talking, and I initially got some recordings that I did myself um, in Oscar Peterson Hall, this wonderful concert hall that you can use for free uh, in your your degree at Concordia, which is just this like incredible space that is underused, I think, by the students. Um, but uh, I got to do some work there, I got some recordings from Simon. Uh, sadly, the recordings from NUSHA didn't work out for that year, but I was able to then follow it up uh, at the end of 2020 uh, for a piece I, I got to premiere at New Blanche this year, which then had some legs and worked at some other conferences uh, throughout the, the spring. Um, but uh, I was really interested in you know, getting really into deep into like processing piano, focusing just on one instrument. Um, but like how to bring these sort of environmental textures, playing with you know, recordings of ice and all these wonderful sounds that you get in Montreal. I've been previously interested in that stuff with uh, my live electronic uh, piece I did with Glennie um, back in 305, Writer's Block, which was this crazy multimedia piece about um, it being cold in Montreal. Um, it was a winter's tale. Our oh. group was called Writer's, Writer's Block was called writer's block because we both use tablet controllers nice um, <laughs> like, <laughs> i like that <laughs> which so so th- that was the thing was i like had started uh, in a mac class in my second year as designing these live performance instruments which then i was working more and more on for my fixed uh, e8 pieces and also with the laptop orchestra um which then i was lucky enough um you know at the throughout my third year um I had already kind of decided that, you know, music technology was a place that I wanted to be in at McGill. Um, And, you know, I really, really liked uh, Dr. Marcelo Wanderley's research. You know, I kept, I kept finding his name when I was doing research for stuff in EA and I was like, you know, Hey, you know, this guy's here, he's involved with Kermit, Uh, I should meet with him. Um, And I did, and was lucky Uh, he was able to give me some guidance. Um, Quebec has this system called the Inter-University Transfer, um, where you can take, credits. Uh, you can take one class at another university, um, if it's in the same city as you. Um, so I was able to branch out and, you know, start studying some of the undergraduate music technology courses uh, at McGill that I was told, you know, if I don't take them now, I'll have to take them in the master's degree. So like, you can take them as electives. Why, why don't you take them? Um, and so, you know, I was taking these sort of like technical learnings that I was getting there and, you know, starting to feed my, my EA compositions my fourth year and all this live stuff working with andrea young uh, my independent study for spaces within which was this exploration i i got to do um for fixed da piece you know mixing spatial 3d audio in real time and working with video and data bending and uh field recordings from that was the year of the climate uh the first climate march the big one uh happened and i was you know wanting to explore these sorts of acoustic spaces but also You know, how how do we look at, you know, acoustic spaces from, you know, the really big sort of traditional spaces to like what you can get out of, uh, you know, amplified microphone space? You know, there's one movement of that piece that's all just recordings of bubbles in a soda glass. Um, I was playing around with, I have a soda stream and it's just like, you know, how much carbonation can I put? putting microphones really close in the hydrophone and getting these textures to then process and then also um, playing around with a uh, induction coil microphone. Which is basically just a magnet, uh, magnet on a string, um, magnet on a string with an audio jack that comes out of it, um, and you can get these like really interesting textured recordings that have these wonderful organic feel to them, but are super artificial because they're the radiation coming off of your devices, um, and of course they're not audio signals. They're you know these crazy multi-spectrum waves, and so if your sample sampling rate is super high, um, you can get crazy stuff once you start slowing them down so you know like when you're at the climate march and the cops are there and they've got some weird encryption that you know puts out this like rhythmic tone at 48 kilohertz um but if you're recording high enough you can get it and then you slow it down yeah. and you can build these that rhythms and cool. all these sorts of things that that's that so creative so, yeah that's really really really, yeah. really creative oh thank you thank you um but it's just like yeah no just like trying to think of acoustic spaces in all these different ways and I had these wonderful field recordings from Columbia and from the mountain in Montreal. And like, can I create this hybrid soundscape space that is kind of both, but it's neither. And like, what? and also I want you to explore a 3D sound. Like what can you subvert with the audience experience? You know, if you have this like traditional soundscapey space, but you know, all the birds are in the floor um, or you're hearing water coming from above you, you know, like drips out of the ceiling. Uh, you know, what does that invoke? And you know, some of that stuff, you know, like came together at the very end uh it was like a super long process of getting everything together for that um and so some of it i didn't have as much time to spend on it to like really polish it as much as some of the other stuff but uh it gave me some really really great ideas that then you know i was able to just focus in making live music for a while um the thing was is like i had thought i was gonna take some time back from not performing um I did a show like every week and then for most of the beginning of 2020 and then the pandemic hit. Um, And then, uh, you know, I was involved with Clark, uh, the laptop orchestra. Uh, Andrea, who was, I was already involved as a, uh, you know, I was taking the class for credit, but I was basically, you know, TAing the class and helping people get their ideas off the ground. and I met Michael Palumbo, who's another electroacoustic uh, graduate, who's really focused in telematic music. And we had asked him to be a guest for the Laptop Orchestra, um, and he had just started this concert series uh, the month before the pandemic, called Exit Points, um, which was at a restaurant in Toronto. Um, and you know, he had said, had thought, you know, this would be really, really great uh, if we could move this concert online and give people a, a place to express themselves. Um, you know, in real time throughout the pandemic. And uh, so I I got involved there um, and got involved in coordinating and helping people out. And, you know, we're still doing a concert every month. Um, We've got another one. It's the last Wednesday of every month. Um, You know, we'll be doing another one this week. Um, And hopefully there'll be even more once the the pan, uh, once this podcast uh, is available to you all. Um, Yes. And, uh, you know, I was doing stuff with the live drone and. Just focusing on the live stuff, and then got to really dig into the research um, end of things uh, for my thesis, and just like see what's available in terms of tech, and like write some papers on that. And then uh, the Christmas break came, and I, you know, started watching some movies and watching some TV, and you know, things started sparking my interest. And you know, between the tech and all that stuff, uh, you know, I was thinking take some time off, and then next thing I know, I'm I'm writing another piano piece. And I contact Nisha and give her some improv ideas and send some stuff I had already recorded pre-pandemic and stuff I had done with Simon, and said you know I want to expand on this. And she sent me back some really beautiful improvisations that then I was able to take and spatialize and process and write a whole new piece um, in entirely from home. You know, working from you know mixing multi-channel, always in another studio to like can I do this all at home from headphones? Um, And sure enough, it worked out. and, you know, that brings us up to the, the pieces now, though. I, I've certainly uh, left some things by the wayside. Um, you know, all the laptop orchestra pieces uh, that I had a chance to perform, and I was involved with the, uh, the synthetic. I wrote a piece called Synthetic Icecapes, uh, which is a piece for T-Stick, which uh, was for a research project at McGill as part of Kermit um, for different ways of writing for the T-Stick. Um, and I wanted to write for laptop orchestra and T-Stick which had been done um, in the very early days of the t stick with the original composer-coder composer, uh, sort of duo. Um, Joseph Malek, who's now teaching at uh, Dalhousie University in Halifax in the computer science department, uh, and D. Andrew Stewart, who's a teaching composition at the University of Lethbridge in Alberta. Um, and I was uh, working with gestural instruments and that stuff there, um, which was my first exploration into Libmapper, which is this wonderful tool that we develop at McGill for connecting devices and making it easier and faster to just get stuff connected and up and running and getting ideas flowing, that um, then I was able to take and bring into um, the piano stuff uh, once the pandemic happened. Um, but I, I, you know, I kept working with the T-stick and doing improvisations with exit points and you know keeping all this stuff flowing. And with exit points, we you know went in a bunch of different directions for playing with. All these different ways that we can do stuff remotely, uh, you know, the traditional concert stuff that we were doing and then, you know, the concert every week where, you know, people from the audience, quote unquote, uh, as much of the audience as you have in the digital space can you know join our Zoom call at the end of the night and do improvisations with us to join in the music making. Um, and then, you know, we played around with live scoring video games, uh, having people play games and making music for it. Um,
1: as they're gaming?
2: yeah uh i mean wow i was like
1: as they're playing in real time yeah. is what you're saying yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, wow so we that's so cool yeah we we got to do uh some stuff with uh jeff Trembliet, uh who's a fellow concordia alumni from the composition program um who was uh you know is also a twitch partner over at and justice for joof um j-o-o-f um And so we got to work on, you know, composing stuff stuff from real time to the games he was playing. And then me and Gabrielle were playing around with some of our own games and doing different ways of doing concerts and the drone streams and all these things. Um, And, you know, as well, doing the research stuff and, you know, studying. McGill has a pretty intensive entrance exam when you start the MA. um, I can only imagine. (laughs) I I was lucky. Uh, I mean, I got the pandemic. Um, So, I mean... You know there was you know a barely a better excuse to like you know just sit sit at home and read um and like really educate myself yeah, that's true. on that is very true everything uh that I could uh their reading list covers everything from like you know acoustics and building instruments to software and computer science and like how we store data and these sorts of things um and like really wrapping my head around like the electrical engineering, computer science stuff. And, you know, it's incredible as well. Like you know, both what I could get out of all this stuff in uh, from books, but also uh, what I could get, you know, just off of YouTube. Um, you know, MIT has taught a bunch of their courses at distance for so long on YouTube. Um, and so, you know, you can just go online and, you know, take a graduate seminar Learn. in... Yeah, Uh, algorithms if you want to. I mean, you have to, you know, kick your own ass to do all the homework yourself. Um, But, uh, you know, if you want to and you're interested and you've got the time and, you know, the flexibility to do so, you can learn, you can teach yourself to code and all these sorts of things um, pretty easily. Um, So I was lucky that, you know, the pandemic presented me with a chance to have all this time to study all these topics. And then the McGill exams like gave me this like, hard set deadline that I, you know, had to know all this stuff to be able to, you know, have a, have a day where they like send you this super intensive PDF that, you know, you have to answer, you know, all these crazy things of like, how does a saxophone work? And, you know, how does, how does audio get encoded? And why does Nyquist do the things it does? And, you know, how do you, how do you effectively compress a MIDI file? And just like all these different technical things that I had taught myself, um, And, you know, I also learned at Concordia as well to some extent. Um, And I was lucky. I I did well in the exams. And so I didn't have to take a lot of prerequisite classes. I could just go straight into the graduate studies and just do the graduate seminars. But then that also meant I had a little bit of extra time to work with some dancers in the summer and, you know, keep doing the drone streams and, you know, write some stuff for t Right, and work and so work on, on other projects. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. do
1: want to comment on something you just said. Uh, Like, you, you've been saying a, a lot. I think, like, you say, you know, I, I was lucky. I was lucky. Mm-hmm. I was lucky. But wasn't it more that the right opportunity came and you were always very prepared? Isn't that what it is more? Oh, I yeah. feel like it is. Because, yes, you did get lucky in a sense. But I feel like you don't get lucky all the time because you get lucky all the time. You get lucky all the time because you're prepared for all these you gotta things. You got to
2: jump on the projects. and
1: Exactly. You yeah,
0: know?
2: I, That's, I mean... Definitely, to some extent, like like I do agree that it it hasn't been complete cosmic coincidence of like exactly. everything that I've done, um. But you know, I I was you know it it's a culmination of the fact that you know I mean I was born it's momentum. In, I was born into a family that you know I could we could afford music lessons when I got interested in it, and you know right. we, we had the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it was this like weird weird combination of, uh, you know my mother having to my mother working in writing about the arts uh so i went to a lot of stuff as a kid and you know she just didn't think to say no you know if i was like i want to you know see this concert or go to this gallery thing right. um, i'm sure having uh, yeah. artistic parents have have a huge impact on that yeah. yeah yeah and it was also just like you know time and place you know my dad was teaching every other year uh, the university in newfoundland has a separate campus campus in england my dad would teach a course there every other year um and you know just how things happened to be you know i was studying music and could be traveling back and forth from london to to cambridge to you know all these different places to study music but it was also you know dubstep was getting big at the time um and you know i was able to get access to stuff through bbc and like i was able to go to you know one of the first proms where they had a dj live with the orchestra and i was like oh you can you know combine these sorts of stuff and it like set all the wheels in motion for then you know when i got into ea you know i had you know almost you know i had been working in digital audio since like elementary school um and you know had been you
1: were way ahead of the curve taking,
2: taking it seriously in high school and, and junior high um but you know so I, and like i had you know i had taken music theory classes um when i was in elementary school and in and junior high uh so i just already had you know a lot of the background. Um, that you know uh my colleagues didn't necessarily have uh so i wasn't yeah. you know learning from the ground up uh, as much as other people um and i was really lucky that you know my parents were able to give me a lot of support um you know throughout the electroacoustic degree um so i was able to you know really focus on you know getting all my assignments done and i had you know the flexibility in my schedule to be able to you know book 12 hours in a row in a studio and just work uh, and, like, you know, be able to go to concerts and, you know, be able to make connections and take stuff, not necessarily based on how much it was paying, but, you know, did it interest me? Was it relevant to what I was doing? All the sorts mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, so, okay. you know, it, yeah. It, you know, not everybody gets to start with a, a Mac computer and, you know, parents who are totally fine with you spending hours on GarageBand as a, Small Absolutely. child. Yeah. I
1: I think we we covered so much. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I still have more questions. I we're, we're definitely not ending this anytime soon, in my opinion. <laughs> um, did we talk about Fie Harmonique? Uh, no. I don't think we have. Uh, we we, so we, let's, we actually touch on Fie
2: Harmonique. No. Um, so Fie Harmonique uh, was a group that came together uh, in me and Anthony's uh, first year in electroacoustics in 205. Yeah. Um, there's this assignment uh, for live electroacoustics. Um, where you have to make a group um, and create a live piece, um, and me and Anthony um, formed a group um, called Shattered Shattered, Shattered Wine. Wine. Um, yeah, and uh, there was a, a group of uh, girls in our, our class. Um, uh, sorry, sorry to correct myself. Uh, I believe it was a group of girls and non-binary students um, trying to earn the original composition of the group, uh, but they they formed this this group. They called themselves Vihal Monique. Um and they composed a piece and it was really great. Um and I you know started making connections with with Julie um, Julie Matson who you know had extensive connections in the ambient scene here in town and had formed this Fjellmanik group as well as Danielle Savage uh, who's a great uh, EA composer and also working in all of uh, her stuff from folk music called the Stuff Olacado who's a really talented EA musician violinist. Uh, Zoe Warren, who's really talented, uh, working saxophone um, and electronics. And uh, Flopri Bois, uh, who's now doing an MA um, at University of Montreal uh, in electroacoustics. Uh, but she's really talented, uh, already has a lot of connections with the ambient scene and uh, in the experimental music uh, scene and all these things. And so I, I was asked uh, if I wanted to perform with Phi Um and I did um, and we had you know a wonderful experience of getting to open uh, Suoni. Suoni de Popolo, uh, which was a festival um, which happened at um, Salo Rosa, uh, which is a venue here in town. and uh, we got to uh, work with some you know, early experimental uh, cinema footage um, and create this wonderful EA experience there. Um, and I also uh, was you know lucky enough. Uh, Julie was still living here, uh, in Montreal at the time. Uh, She's now back in British Columbia. Um, But, you know, while she was here, uh, we were able to go to, um, she had a a studio and a living space that was located outside of the city. Uh, We could all, you know, go and work on recordings out there and, you know, have the wonderful experience of um, the outside, uh, outside the city, which is a very different soundscape, um, both to work in and, you know, to record. Completely Um, different. But, yeah, no, Fee Monique was really founded on that initial sort of feeling of, I mean EA is so deeply male dominated. Right. Um, and like we, you know, felt that, you know, we, we should band together and work with each other and like really work on expanding each other's fields and you know, have a, a, a safe space uh, to express all that. Um, right. like going back to the Columbia thing
1: yep. like we're not going to just talk about audio. We're going to touch on like subjects that are like important to discuss. Mm -hmm. And I I really want to ask this like correctly and and properly, but, uh, like you, you touch a very, very true point. Uh, that's like, you have to be blind to not see it that, uh, audio, electroacoustics, this field is very, very, uh, dominated by cisgendered, uh, white males, Mm you know, like that, that's Mm -hmm. like who I see the most at at work, uh, at the studio, um, And I want to ask you, as someone who is uh, gender fluid, you know, Mm -hmm. what has it been like for you? Mm -hmm. And also, I want to ask you, uh, like, for someone who maybe knows they're gender fluid inside Mm -hmm. and still hasn't come out to say it, you know, who's Mm -hmm. still maybe uh, hiding it because they don't know how it would be accepted. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, in, in this field and 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 everything you've done, mm. what has that been like for you? And what would be your advice for someone who would be in that type of situation? I, mm-hmm. I really want to like mm-hmm. hit this and 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 give it, yeah. give give it all the time it needs and all the attention it needs. Like like be very detailed about this because I think I I I don't hear enough people talking about it. I feel like it's almost like a thing where people don't want to bring it up. They brush it under the under the rug. Mm-hmm. They don't want to mm-hmm. like mention it. Like I really like l- let's 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 do this like all the way. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no. Thank you for thank you for asking it. because uh, it 'cause it is something that I mean needs to be discussed. Um I mean my experience it was, you know, uh very very sort at the beginning, um it's it's always uh, it was a struggle, um in terms of, you know, as as I'm sure our our listeners can assume through through the sound of my voice and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh initially, um within electroacoustics, um you know, it was kind of assumed I was a male composer, um, and there was you know a lot of a lot of struggle uh, I found with that, um, and you know, kind of this initial sort of sense of uh, I mean, it's you know imposter syndrome of like you know what that, that where where people assume you are and uh, you know uh, what you actually are, um, even though you know I was out um, as gender fluid. I came out in high school. I was lucky enough uh, that I was able to come to the realization early um, in life. And so um, I was already out and had, you know, changed my name and all of that jazz before I came into mm-hmm. uh, Concordia. Um, so I was lucky uh, in that regard, but it was, yeah, definitely definitely difficult uh, at the beginning. Um, you know, it's this imposter syndrome of you know, where, where people sort of assumed I was. And then, you know, as, as you, People become aware, you know, whether or not you're already out Um, isn't always, you know, it isn't always the first conversation you want to have um, with anybody really, Um, especially not in a, you know, an audio perspective or a perspective for schooling um, where you you don't know, you know, how much of this, how much of this person are you necessarily, do you want in your personal life Uh, or like how much is even safe uh, to discuss with these people um and you know there's definitely some bad apples um in mine and anthony's year um that caused a lot of friction Absolutely. um and uh you know we definitely had our fights um you know both with the faculty um and with and with other students um i mean sometimes you know it's people just not being aware um which i don't know like it's it's crazy to me as a non-binary person that you can come into the space and not notice the gender uh, disparity. But, uh, you know, if you're not necessarily, you know, if it's not always, uh, you don't always notice, uh, you know, systems of inequality unless they're negatively affecting you.
0: Um, and so,
2: yes. you know, it it's work of just like, you know, meeting people where they are uh, and, and talking with faculty on like, talking with other students as well, you know, like, does this come from a place of malice? You know, like, are you actively transphobic? Um, you know, do you not believe that my gender is real? Um, or, um, you know, is it just ignorance? Is it, um, is it a language barrier? Um, you know, I had conversations with faculty where it was, you know, they had problems with they, them pronouns and it, you know, wasn't necessarily, um, anything other than, uh, just translation issues. Um, and, you know, having these, having these conversations um, while also, you know, myself, I, I was involved with a project in the Women's Studies Department at the wonderful Simone de Beauvoir Institute at Concordia uh, on, you know, working to alleviate uh, some of these issues and talking about, you know, how much, how much of it is an issue of the fact that, um, you know, these systems are, you know, stopping uh women and non-binary people from coming into the field um and you know how how much of it is actively programming in this way and how much of it is you know just the fact that it's really hard to see yourself in these fields already um for these groups and you know if you don't see yourself in something um you're not necessarily going to see it as an option uh something to study or something that you can go into um Mm -hmm. and audio is very much a boys club in that regard um And, you know, there are lots and lots of really incredible women and non-binary people and trans people throughout history, Um, you know, Delia Derbyshire, Wendy Carlos, Pauline Oliveros, you know, all these people who aren't necessarily covered in the traditional electroacoustic curriculum um, and, you know, aren't necessarily, you know, seen to people. Um, You know, I knew about Delia Derbyshire because I was a Doctor Who nerd as a kid, Uh, you know, thanks Tumblr uh, for getting me exposed uh, to these people like this that, you know, we don't talk about uh, in the EA program. And it has gotten better, um, you know, because the staff are are more aware of, you know, needing to present these things. And I think, you know, more and more people are coming around to it. And there's, you know, increasingly more opportunities um, for uh, gender diverse groups to get involved in audio. Oh, 100%. um, I mean, you know, Concordia... You know, Concordia Electroacoustics is still by gender, you know, less diverse than a lot of places that people don't necessarily even, you know, normally think of as diverse places. You know, there are more women in computer science, you know, by percentage at Concordia than there are in electroacoustics. And computer science is also a field that is traditionally very male dominated. And, you know, electroacoustics takes on all of this. You know, you're working with computers, you're working with music, which is already, you know, very male dominated. Um, And it's, just like bringing people's awareness to a point that they're thinking about these things, um, that they are reforming stuff, uh, you know, working on talking with people about programming. Um, but it's still hard. Um, and I mean, you're still gonna end up with a lot of shit from people who, you know, don't necessarily know better or are actively malicious or, you know, they're just trying to, um, you know, it is some, you know, weird personal hangups that they have. Um, You know, they want to prove that they're super care about some weird, uh, rational, quote unquote, rational, you know, compositional aesthetic or a certain way of presenting yourself that, you know, may not necessarily be attractive or interesting to non-binary composers and, you know, gender diverse composition groups that then, you know, isn't something that then, you know, you see yourself in so you don't come to work with it. Uh, and it's it's a leaky pipeline, you know, all the way up. Um you know, I was lucky that, you know, when I was interested in coding and so forth, um you know, nobody told me no, nobody told me not to to study that stuff, you know. I mean, when I studied dance, I mean, I spent years studying dance and then eventually um you know, switched into doing hockey, um not because I wanted to do, well, I sorry. I should retake that. Um, when i was interested in you know i was doing dance as a kid um i did dance for several years and then went into skating um not because i was interested in skating but because um you know most of the other quote-unquote boys my age um had done hockey um and you know it was a point of getting bullied as a kid um and you know i was definitely in a privileged position to not have that with my music and so forth um and I wasn't expected to, you know, switch out of those fields. Um, but, you know, there are wonderful initiatives and like lots of support groups for these things. You know, Sound Girls is a wonderful international initiative uh, that is great for, you know, networking and, you know, finding groups where you can talk about these things. Um, and, you know, also just talk about general audio stuff uh, to, you know, peers that are of a similar mind and, you know, aren't all you know, cis white men, um, which, you mm-hmm. know, means a lot. Cause it's also, you know, this technical stuff is it's hard. Um, you know, you're only, you're only ever going to get good if you feel comfortable asking questions about stuff. Um, and I mean, I was lucky enough, um, you know, both through, you know, the experiences I was getting, but also that, you know, m- mostly like my questions weren't being shot down. Uh, and if I was made to feel dumb, I got over it. Um, but, um, you know, that is not the experience that uh, a lot of uh, the gender diverse colleagues that I have feel, uh, I mean, either that they have or that they, they, they don't necessarily even feel comfortable, you know, going to um, some dude who might be, you know, super technically knowledgeable, but, you know, they might dismiss them um, over uh, some gender um, discrimination or, you know, just because the language that they're, they're using doesn't necessarily line up with things um and i mean you know people are as i said getting better with you know being conscious of inclusive language and you know starting to realize that um you know we are in the field there there there, we we are here uh and that you know we we, we've always been here it's not a new thing you know we're not taking your jobs um we just want uh, to, you know, have a seat at the table and be able to to work um, just the same as everybody else, you know, and that we're just as technically competent um, as somebody else with the same amount of experience uh, and the same background. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, it's a much better place for people to come out now. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you have to consider your own safety, um, which, you know, sounds... Very ominous, but you know, if you're in a a workplace that doesn't necessarily support it, or you know, often a family situation, um, you know, it took a very long time to get some of my family on board, and a lot of them still aren't, um, just on the gender question um, and the gender topic. Um, And so, you know, it's not necessarily um, something that you want to rush into, but uh, I mean, I think increasingly more people are understanding that, you know, identities are fluid and sexuality is fluid, gender is fluid. Um, and so, you know, you can start small and, you know, find people that you trust to come out to. And, you know, you can find friends that, you know, want to help you, you know, pick a name, if that's something you want to do, you know, you don't have to, you know, this is a big thing. Uh, you know, transition is not the same for any one individual or any two individuals, sorry. Um, and you know everybody's journey is going to look different, um, and there's no real timeline to do any of this. Um, you know, I know plenty of people who've come out in their forties and are you know living incredibly happy and fulfilling lives now that they're you know true to who they feel they are. You know, who they're they're true to their their themselves, their, uh, their self identity. Um, and so you know, it's it's never too late to come out, um, and it's never too late to. You know, change your pronouns, change your name. Um, tell people, um, you know, that you you want to you want try stuff out, and you know that you aren't necessarily exactly committed to one thing, and you know you never have to be pigeonholed in one thing. Um, and it's yeah, just continuing to be open and um, yeah, you know, hopefully finding finding people who are willing to work with you for that. Um, you right. Know, Sadly, uh, you do have to be a bit picky with some of the audio jobs you take. Um, You know, it's good to know what the organizations are like and, you know, how they treated their employees in the past and, you know, talking to other people about, you know, how things are right now. Um, But, you know, just because you see a gender gap in a field right now um, doesn't mean that, you know, you can't be um, in that field. Um, You know, there's nothing stopping you other than, I mean, the resources that you have access to in terms of you know time and money, but you know also just you know putting your own work into it, um, you can become quite accomplished in you know just about any field you put your exactly. mind to. And I um, just want
1: to comment on that that like you are the pr- exact proof of that. You are the proof of that. You are living proof of what you just said. Like I know you know that, but I want the listener to know that as well to really in this moment, hear what Casey said, and know that Casey has accomplished so much in this field where the gender gap is super wide, you know? So I just, I really want to bring that point home.
2: Please uh, continue, Casey. Thank you. And, you know, to that point, um, and, you know, is is that is that you, it's incredibly, for me, it's incredibly rewarding um, to be doing well in the field, you know, not just from the usual, you know, oh, it's nice to have my pieces played at concerts and it's nice to be able to pay my rent and, you know, these sorts of things. Um, But it's also the fact that, you know, as a non-binary person who is out, um, I have had the wonderful experience of, you know, teaching youth and, you know, having other colleagues who, you know, come out after the fact and say, you know, you being out and you being true to yourself and, you know, being good in your, your craft and, you know, showing other people that you can do it um it means a lot to them as well um and you know and it's endlessly rewarding um to yeah no see that you are having that positive effect on the community um and that mm-hmm. you know other people feel emboldened to um you know even you know just do a little bit of audio editing or you know change the way that they listen to music or change to the way that they think of composition um or any of these things um and it's yeah no deeply deeply rewarding um but uh you know you you have to be able to be out to yourself first and you know be at that level um to then start coming out to other people and then um you know it's just starting to take those first steps and those first steps don't have to be what can we
1: do Um, in uh, like and i'm talking about audio people here mm -hmm, what can mm -hmm. we do to best support your people
2: um well, I mean, you know, the first thing is to be, to be open and to be too willing to listen. Um, you know, it's also being willing to pass the mic, um, which, you know, I, I'd like to think we're doing a pretty good example of now. Um, yes. You know, you don't, if there is, you know, somebody from, uh, you know, a, a group that is not very well represented, you know, audio is also incredibly white um, and incredibly, um you know, Northern Hemisphere focused for what is dominant in our, our culture and what is taught in our schools and so forth. Um, you know, being able being able and willing to you know pass the mic um, to you know these underrepresented groups and let them talk for you know, what they feel is important and should be done. Um, and you know, being able to listen, being able to admit when you're wrong, and you know, if someone calls you out on like, you know, hey, this isn't okay, you know, hey, you know, these aren't my pronouns, you know, my pronouns, are they them? I'd like if you, you know, use them in the future to, you know, not get offended and, you know, not take it personally and, you know, take it as a chance for you personally to grow and to be more aware of these things. And, you know, it's also, you know, incredibly, you know, helpful for, you know, you to be able to, you know, take this out of the workplace and, you know, bring it back to your own personal life, you know, even if you aren't personally trans, um, you know, if you question, you know, what does gender mean to me? And, you know, what does my gender expression mean? And, you know, even if you come to the conclusion that you're cis, um, you know, you've at least made an effort um, to, you know, start that understanding and you've, you know, questioned, you know, what it means to identify as a certain gender um, or identify as a specific uh, sexuality. and you know that can help you, you know, better empathize with other people when they're expressing these concerns. And you know, as I touched on, listening—it's also you know not invalidating, um, you know, group minority groups when they bring up their experiences about the field. Um, you know, don't say that. Oh well, that hasn't been my experience, or you know, this is untrue. You know, this professor treated me very well, so they can't have been mean to you. Um, you know, being able to admit, you know, your that, you know, your experience is going to be different than theirs. Um yes. and so um, you know, it's your experience isn't necessarily indicative of what they're experiencing. Uh and it's very useful to listen to them and understand all these things. Um and yeah, no, just also, you know, start working on making your, you know, your workplaces and the places that you are in. Um more inclusive um, and more open, even if it is an all male uh, workplace. Uh, you know, correct people when they don't use the uh, the right pronouns, or you know, call them out if they're you know bringing up misinformation about uh, you know a gender, or a sexual uh, orientation, or you know if they're making homophobic or transphobic jokes, or all of these things. Um, you know, obviously, you know, check in. You know, if you do have the chance to have the your colleagues uh, who are identify any sorts of ways, you know, check in with them to see, you know, what are you comfortable with? Are you comfortable if I correct other people about your pronouns? These sorts of things. Um, but, yeah, no, just, I mean, try and be the best ally that you can. Um, absolutely. Listen to people and just, you know, fight for the cause when they can't be there um, because it is exhausting to be the person who has to fight the cause all the time which is often what we see of uh you know gender diverse people in audio uh, we burn out because you know not only are we trying to juggle um you know this crazy intensive creative workflow where you're expected to you know work an 18-hour day um three days right. three days a week uh or you know seven days a week you know in some of these really really uh arduous work conditions while you're also you know arguing about gender representation and um uh, you know spending all this emotional energy uh correcting people um you know it's great um to have allies that you know can can do it for us you know on the days that we're tired um or you know we don't necessarily catch something cuz we just you know didn't hear it right away or you know we're paying attention to something else um yeah no just i mean also you know, if you're in the position to, um, you know, point out um, the disparities and convince your employers to, you know, do something about it. Um, you know, yeah, absolutely. prioritize absolutely. hiring yeah. more gender diverse people, et cetera, um, you know, it's uh, it goes a long way um, because, you know, once you get people in these jobs, as I said, you know, they can see themselves in it and then it's a positive feedback loop. Um, you know they know that they can get involved because they see other people like them doing it um and then they get involved and then other people see them doing it and they know that they can get involved and you know it's a war of inches and you know i'm lucky that i have some colleagues who've written some really great research papers on that topic um so you know there's definitely more attention coming to it but uh yeah no it's still it's still a struggle and hopefully uh people uh are getting um more aware of it and do more to uh help the yeah. cause yeah absolutely, yeah, exactly
1: i think i think this is like i'm really happy we had this conversation yeah. i'm really happy this this point was brought up uh, this is something that needs to be discussed and mm-hmm. needs to be described mm-hmm. and uh i think that your words are should be uh, are going to be written in stone in the sense that uh, there's probably someone out there listening to this right now who's like moved by this yeah and it, that this is like to help you and to know that you can you can work in audio. It doesn't matter what gender you are, what race you are, what uh, s- what's your sexual preference, who you're attracted to, what you look like. This is a field for everyone, mm-hmm. for everyone, right. and it, that's like a message that I really want to like showcase. Please go ahead. I yeah,
0: no, I was just gonna say this is an this is an audio field. This is this is not a gender field. Um, exactly. I've uh, I have noticed uh, some some. Probably I've caught some of my colleagues uh, just calling somebody by the wrong gender, just because they assume they read the name and they're not sure. So they just choose one and I've caught myself correcting them. And uh, I, you know, I just don't know what, what else to do other than correcting them. Mm-hmm. And uh, just when I'm not sure. I'll and just that's like the normal them. thing to do. Yep, that's, <laughs> the, that's the normal thing to do. It's just when you're not sure uh, and you, can't you don't have the opportunity to ask at that moment just use exactly them. Mm-hmm.
1: i think mm-hmm. we uh we covered a lot here oh, yeah. we we really covered everything uh that uh that i wanted to discuss um i have one final question for casey this is kind of the question that uh where does i'm making this a tradition right now we're going to ask this at the at the end of every episode to every guest um but before i ask you this question is there anything else you you wanted to discuss or uh obviously there's going to be a part where you can promote uh, projects and stuff that's going to be after the question, but is, is there anything else you wanted to like say right before this question or I think are I
2: you, think I of. think we, I mean, we've hit okay. a lot of topics and I'm pretty happy. Yes. with. So.
1: Perfect. Perfect. So this is the question on sound space that we're going to ask all our all of our guests, guests, mm-hmm. guests, guests, <laughs> uh, <laughs> hands and <in> fires. Uh, <laughs> what is your advice to people who want to get into the space of sound?
2: Uh, I mean, my advice is really just go for it. I mean, you know the tools are out there um and they're relatively accessible um you know it, you can you know reaper is free um in air quotes um
1: yeah air quotes are definitely attached
2: yeah uh, but you know it's a uh, but also like you know don't think that you need to be limited by uh you know if you don't have access to a computer um you know it's incredible you know what you can do with you know a smartphone um you know or you know, access to, you know, even, you know, a library computer, you know, you can use a DAW in a browser at this point. Um, there's some really great DAWs that just run in the browser and they're free to use. Um, so, you know, it's just to, you know, start getting into it, start playing um, and yeah, you know, just see, you know, what catches your interest and, you know, start pursuing those. And, you know, if it's something that it catches your fancy and it's something that you want to do, um, you know, I'm sure that as you follow what you're interested in, um, you'll find um, other spaces where, you know, you might need to get a bit more technical and learn about stuff that, you know, might not be super exciting to you at first, um, but can be super exciting down the line, um, and, you know, it it can really help you uh, get a finalized uh, piece together, um, even mm-hmm. you know if it's just, you know, editing. Together a, a little podcast uh, or you know recording sounds or you know I mean I even as a kid I remember you know there was like apps uh, on the iPod touch that you could get where you could make soundscapes you know there's a bunch of free recordings and you you know could just turn the volume up and down um, you know there's all sorts of ways to get into it and there's no right way to get into it and there's no right way to think about it either you know you don't have to know music theory um, you You know, don't need to know circuit theory. You don't need to know, you know, exactly 100% how everything works all the time. Um, Absolutely. You can pick that all up as you go. Casey, I wish you gave me that advice before I started the program. (laughs) Honestly.
1: (laughs) Uh, Anthony's um, like, what? I could use a darn Google Pro? (laughs) What? (laughs) No, I mean. (laughs) I've been doing it all wrong. (laughs) I've been using logic all this time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, but. No, uh, absolutely. That was well said. So, Perfect. So no, well, let's you. wrap things up. Yes. Uh, this
1: has been another episode of SoundSpace. Uh, I'm very happy to have had you on, Casey. Thank yeah. you so much. uh oh, This is. uh Thank you for inviting uh, me. This yeah. is good. Casey, honestly. Uh, thank, no, no, no. Honestly, thank you. Like, we're going to have to top this yeah. on the next episode. And this is going to mm-hmm. be impossible. Honestly, we're <laughs> so
0: honored to have you on as our first guest. Yeah. Uh, it's Seriously, been, it's been very great honored. catching up with you, uh getting yes. to know you better, getting to know what you've been up to. um Yes, we're really happy.
2: Oh, thank you, thank you. And um, I mean, now you get the joys of getting to edit this down, um, which yes, uh, will, will be a challenge. Uh, but you know, you've got the tools um, and the skills, so I'm excited to see how this we comes have together. Chrome, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, probably use my phone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 100%. percent. I'm going to use my iPad. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm going to run this. I'm going to run this recording from Reason into Logic <laughs> through Reaper, and then I'm going to make a Max patch.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and then, <laughs> yeah, no, like write some sort of weird uh, C++ code that exports it to a WAV file at the end. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Binaural. Yeah, no, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, great. Okay, perfect. Thanks for so, uh, me.
2: Um, absolutely. In terms of pluggables, you yeah, want to Yeah, please plug go st- ahead. Um, please go ahead. So you can find me, I mean, um, I've got recordings up on Bandcamp, um, which is just kpocius.bandcamp.com. So that's K-P-O-C-I-U-S. Um, I'm kc.pochus, that's k-a-s-e-y dot p-o-c-i-u-s over on Instagram. Um, and you can find more of my live stuff uh, on YouTube, uh, just search my name, uh, Casey Um Hopefully I'll have more things on other streaming platforms um, by the time this comes out. Um, I'm working on the headache that is actually publishing stuff in spatial audio formats. Um, and I'm sure uh, I'll have links uh, sent to you uh, by the time that this goes up uh, with that information. Otherwise, uh, you can find the rest of my stuff uh, through those things. I'm on GitHub and other places. If you really want to get into the technical yes, weeds, yes.
1: And uh, Casey's <laughs> super easy to talk to, everyone. So please reach out. Uh, I, I'm you. You take take the time. Take the time. Definitely take the it, time. This yeah it's always a pleasure
0: talking to casey there's always something to, to learn talk about. and to learn so, Thank you. Thank absolutely
1: uh so yeah the podcast is uh, w- uh, w- as we're recording this we still don't have social media ready uh, but everything for the podcast will be linked in the description for myself i am at giant music on social media giant is my website freelance audio engineer if you need uh, podcast editing mixing mastering um sound design i am the guy for that um and then uh just my youtube channel youtube.com slash giant music where i do my other podcast anime podcasters by the time you're listening to this uh chip machine has put the, put out spectrogram ghosts which is the latest album for that uh, electroacoustic music project lunatic rappers is uh, a thing that i'm putting out singles for so make sure you check that out and uh yeah, that's uh, me. What about you, uh, Anthony? Where can people find you? Uh,
0: for me, at the moment, you can find me on Instagram as at akachi.audio and that's A-C-A-C-I dot audio. Um, and on Spotify, it's akachi, A-C-A-C-I. And you can find me here. At, yes, at, I found uh, you. Sounds yes,
1: <laughs> there you are. Yeah, that's Right in the, right, right in the server. <laughs>
2: I'm going to plug this <laughs> own channel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm here right now.
2: i <laughs> will get the Discord link. Going. All right. So. Yeah.
1: Oh, the Discord is going to be more for uh, for guests. Okay. It's, this is going to be like a network for people who've done the podcast could mm-hmm. connect with other audio perfect, people. Perfect. So that like in like 2023, if they're, oh, Casey, where's Casey? Casey's on this Discord server. Mm-hmm. Go talk to Casey, you know? Uh, so, yeah. Um, thank you all so much. So for myself, Anthony and Casey, this has been another episode of Soundspace. Bye, everyone. Ah, thank That's you for having right. me.